Welcome. I am your host, Matt Preet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOT, and joined by my guy, Cody Safdick. You guys can follow him on Twitter at CJ Safdick, and we're here propping you up for UFC 272, headlined by a grudge match between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. Good God, I can't wait to finally see this fight go down. Yesterday, I wasn't as jacked, but for some reason today, Cody, I am jacked to watch this fight what is your excitement level for this and obviously how are you doing bro yeah good i mean excitement level high it's colby covington fights pay-per-view but it's not like the card's any better than a regular card it's got a sweet ass main event between a journeyman and colby covington and then rafael dos Anjos, not his fault right him versus uh, fizev would have been a great co-made event but now you got short notice fun fights on the card but again sergey spivak greg hardy's on the main card as a pay-per-view the rest of the prelims good good but not great talent uh, other than Umar Nurmagomedov, I think he could potentially be a great talent. Uh, yeah, yeah, excitement level the same as as always. But I'll tell you something, right? The last two events, we've done exceptionally well the last two events. They're like fight nights. They fly under the radar. You don't, you know, this is a pay-per-view. Oh, it's got the bright lights. Like, the excitement level is only as good as the picks are, right? So let's hit some winning picks, make some money, and that in itself is what's going to make it a great night. Absolutely, and uh, not just winning picks, but we got some hopefully winning props for you guys. Obviously, that's what this show is all about. But first and foremost, let's pay some bills real quick. Shout out to the All Star for uh, hosting us on their platform once again. Uh, obviously, big things for us, uh, for me and Cody to get a wider platform like this. Uh, to, so, shout out to everybody that's hopped on to the show, supported us from way back in the day to obviously now here on the All Star. But obviously, big shout out to Cloudbet as well, one of the main sponsors of the show. Uh, they give you a hundred percent sign up bonus when you sign up with them they are the first crypto book in the space so make sure you guys go check them out uh they take fiat now through MoonPay. uh they're available in many many countries fast withdrawal fast withdrawals low margins high limits make sure you guys check them out and if you don't have access to cloudbet check out bovada as well they give you a 250 dollars welcome bonus all of these links are in the description below make sure you guys go use them and uh we can show them that the prop and you up army is for real and uh we have some pull and some sway i'm obviously seeing it on the subscriber count for the all-star as well we've absolutely blown it up for them especially since the inauguration of the show on their channel so we greatly thank every single one of you that has come over i know we missed a couple of you on the first two episodes because of the transition period but now it seems the numbers are starting to go back up to what they used to be and uh, i'm happy to see that now the goal is to get them higher than they are before all right let's get into this goddamn card here we got ufc 272 we got 13 fights coming at you starting at 6 p.m eastern on saturday the early prelims kick off with a light heavyweight scrap here between dustin jacoby and mihal oleg shajuk we got minus 220 on jacoby and plus 180 on mihal oleg shajuk very excited for this fight this should be a fun fight oleg shajuk always brings the fight in his uh whenever he goes in there and steps inside the cage right uh, there's one thing on his mind forward pressure and if there's a second thing on his mind, it's either body shots or eventually dig to the body and eventually open up the head and try to get his opponents out there. We saw him at the, his best in his last fight against Shamil Gamzatov, where he went in there and just absolutely sucked the gas tank out of Gamzatov within three minutes and then eventually finished him there. It more so seemed like Gamzatov wanted out of there than anything, which is why he probably went down off that uppercut. Uh, but that's what Oleg Shejuk does when he's at his best. But people are 
kind of forgetting about that fight that he had right before that against uh, Modestus Bukowskis where it went the full 15 minutes. And in my opinion, I thought he deserved to lose the fight. We saw better things from Bukowskis than we did from Gamzatov in terms of throwing feints, throwing jabs, staying active, staying mobile, but also presenting uh, attacks that required Oleg Shajak to respect him and didn't push him as much as he was able to push Gamzatov. Now, I'm talking about Bukowskis who was having that type of success against Oleg Shajak. Now you're throwing in Dustin motherfucking Jacoby, who is actually a legitimate technical striker. Obviously, he has that glory kickboxing behind his name as well. But when we see him inside the cage, he throws in combinations, uses his range very well, uses feints very effectively, which I think is going to be very important in this fight against Oleg Shajak. And I think he'll be able to keep him on the end of his jab, keep him on the end of his strikes. And like that first round, don't get me wrong, it's going to be tough. Oleg Shajak is going to come through and he's going to try to establish that dominance right off the bat. But I feel like uh, Jacoby, with his extended uh, kickboxing career and even MMA career, he's dealt with all sorts of these kinds of guys in the past. And I feel like he'll be able to establish that uh, that effective striking from the outside, the counter striking, especially to make Oleg Shajuk respect him and eventually, uh, you know, start taking over the later that this fight goes. So the uh, two ways that I'm looking to play this fight, uh, I, I don't mind the chalk on Jacoby. I do think he's the much better fighter in this. His, uh, his um, durability is great. The guy's been taking some shots on the chin and continues to chug forward, taking big shots from Iwan Kutilaba, came back and still managed to make that a very close fight. Was a draw. I can completely understand that. Uh, the only time he's been knocked out clean in his kickboxing career by one Alex Pereira. And we know what Alex Pereira brings to the table in terms of his power. Uh, but yeah, I, I trust the durability of Jacoby here to go out and get the job done. Uh, we got Jacoby sitting at uh, plus 250 to win via decision. I wouldn't even mind a Jacoby round three stab at plus 900 because I think by that time, Oleg Shajak will be you know, worn down and Jacoby could, could probably find that fight ending counter strike to put him down and out. So I, I like Jacoby, Jacoby decision, Jacoby round three. What about you, Cody? Yeah, that's fair. I don't got a really strong lean either side. Like I think, like you said, uh, Mikel Lechuk's going to come forward. He's going to be probably the aggressor and he's going to be looking to find a home for that left hand. But if he fades out in the second and third round, then Jacoby's got the volume. He's got the veteran savvy ship. He's a much bigger guy. So that's another thing about Prince Michael I've just never really liked. He's a, he's a small 205er, man. I mean, he's got yeah. the frame of a middleweight. He's only six feet tall. Jacoby's 6'3", he's a big boy, did fight at middleweight previously in his career as well, but in the later years, he's definitely filled out. Like you said, dude's fought Simon Marcus twice and lived to tell the tale. Got injured yeah. the second time, but but all the same, dude. Fought Simon Marcus twice, lived to tell the tale. He's he's a tough, durable guy. Uh, if Again, he's got the better cardio. He trains at altitude in Colorado, but you've seen certain performances from Jacoby where if he's not in shape, if he's a little sick, if he's not feeling good fight week, then his cardio completely zaps off. The Maxim Grishin fight, which I guess is four fights back. But of course, the guy fought four times in 2021. So four fights back is not really that long ago. He definitely gets gassed himself. And then when he gets gassed, he gets sloppy. He's also kind of hittable as well. The John Allen fight, he puts up great numbers. Lands like 150 significant strikes. But he gets hit fairly often then in that fight as well. And Allen just got nothing for him beyond the first round. So I could see a world where Prince Michael has some uh, success moving forward and brawling a little bit. I could see a world where just Jacoby lays back and just lands kicks. Then there's another thing. Uh, if you look at Michael Elekchuk's last few fights, nobody kicks. He doesn't kick. And his opponents don't kick either. Modestus Bukaukas, fight goes full 15. Now their guy kicks each other. Whereas Jacoby, he's landed 30, or he's landed 30 kicks in two of his last four fights. Dude loves staying at range. I mean, even his fight with Ian Kudalaba, he landed nine kicks, but he got taken down nine times. So hard to kick off your back, right? It's a, it's a staple of his game. And so, yeah, big cage. 
Uh, they're at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. You know, it's going to be a big arena feel. If Jacoby minds his P's and Q's, stays to the outside, doesn't get tired, chips away at him. So uh, the way I see this one is if you were Team Jacoby, I'd probably take a little stab at that plus 225, plus 250 for the Jacoby by decision. But the other side of it is just take the fight goes the distance. Or beyond that, my book offers fight completes two rounds, minus 125, and the over two and a half at uh, maybe not fight fully goes the distance, but over two and a half at minus 105. I think it's probably going to be a kickboxing match that both guys live to tell the tale. I think the reason you're getting a good price on that is if you were to tape study Michael Alexichuk, doesn't usually go to decision, right? I yeah. mean, a lot of his fights are finishes. But Gamzatov's a bum, right? Ballooned up 13-0 record. Dude, that was... And I was all over Prince Michael that night. Yeah. This dude hey, had hey, a hey, hey, sorry. So let me just correct you one thing. One thing, one thing. Yeah. That, Lord Mihao. Let's oh, go with Lord, Lord Mihao. I Lord. think Prince is a little bit too, uh, you know, posh for him. This motherfucker is a lord. Is he? I, he hasn't quite earned lordship, in my opinion. You know, my, he's just kind of still Prince Michael, if he wants. Mihao, if he wants to, uh, you know, spice things up and go on a serious run here, great. When, a, win Jacobi, uh, a win over Jacoby would help. But again, Jean Vellante. Jean Vellante's over the hill. You know, he cooks him really quick. Vellante was up. Eh, no good. Anti Gulov, total bum topples over. Shamil Gamzatov, total bum, topples over. Jimmy Crew just blew through him on the ground, and this fight ain't going to hit the ground, so you, you throw that one out the window. And against Auburn St. Proust straight up, he uh, won the first round, looked really good. Yeah. Second round gassed out and ended up getting submitted with the Von Proust. So, again, throw the Von Proust submission out the window, but him gassing out all the same, that, that was a bad look. What I'm saying is that just because you see all those quick finishes, I think it's going to go quicker, uh, it'll go more like the Modestus Bukaukas fight. I think it'll be more of a sparring match over 15, and at the very least, if it's a late finish, okay. If a fight completes two rounds or the over two and a half, I think that's the best prop I'd want to attack from this, from my standpoint. I like that as well. I want to give a quick shout out to my guys over at the Lambo Plays podcast, my guy uh, Narco Cop and all the guys over there. They kind of opened my eyes more to like the juicier props, something that me and you don't really touch on more so, like like uh, fighter wins by TKO in round three, and you get like plus 1,600 on something crazy like that. So I wanted to look even deeper into the props and see if we can dig out anything more for the viewers. And two that actually came out uh, or kind of caught my eye, uh, either fighter to win by KO at minus 120, 25. I don't mind that shot there either because there is obviously openings for both guys to find that KO. I do more so agree with you though that we probably see this go the full 15. But the other prop that caught my eye was uh, Jacoby, Jacoby wins in round three or by decision at plus 165. I don't think that's a bad shot either. Yeah, that's actually he can finish this in the in third round or get that decision as well. Again, I know some of those props aren't widely available, but I do just want to throw them out on top of the other props that we're throwing out there for people as well. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got a 155-pound scrap between Ludovic Klein and Devontae Smith. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 150 for uh, Devontae Smith and plus 130 on Ludovic Klein. Uh, I was kind of surprised by the opener here on Ludovic Klein, which is at plus 210. Obviously, a ton of money coming in on Klein now, pushing him down to that plus 130 spot. Uh, I feel like this is going to be one of those bangers, man. Devontae Smith obviously coming off a knockout loss to Jamie Malarkey last time around. It seemed like it was kind of a shot to the eye that was ultimately the ending there for Devontae Smith. As soon as uh, Jamie landed that shot, you see Devontae start like blinking, trying to kind of pat his eye. And then Jamie Malarkey smells the blood, goes after the kill, and eventually gets it there. So good win for him there. But we've seen uh, Devontae Smith obviously knocked out in past fights, right? Obviously, the comma worthy fight comes to mind as well. On the Ludovic Klein side, 
he was supposed to go out there and cruise against Nate the Train Landwehr. Mm -hmm. uh, Nate the Train had completely different plans that night, hurting uh, Klein multiple times in that fight, and then eventually choking him out in that third round. A uh, couple spots that I'm looking at in this fight, man. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision. is currently hanging around minus 225. I had it at minus 175 earlier this week on Bodog. I thought that was a damn good spot. Now, Klein, a little bit low output at times, but is very effective when he does actually let his strikes go. Devontae Smith was, will obviously be the fastest striker of the two, and he holds a ton of power in his own right, but I do think the fact that uh, Smith will be throwing a little bit more, Klein will be enticed to throw a little bit more counters, maybe eventually even catch him with one of those head kicks that he's claimed many a body with. Uh, I think he catches another body this weekend uh, by knocking out Devontae Smith probably in the second or third round. So, uh, specific props. Klein by KO was hanging at plus three. 330, which is, I think, a little bit crazy here, especially considering we know the durability issues of Devontae Smith and the knockout power of Ludovic Klein. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, the number is uh, 33 out of 35 combined fights of these guys have finished inside the distance. And they're giving me minus 175 up to minus 225. I'm I'm okay with that. I think uh, it might seem dicey early, but as this fight starts to wear on, I think we'll see them start to open up a little bit more and eventually find that knockout, which is why I don't like the one and a half I'd rather just take the fight doesn't go to decision and call it a day here. But in terms of a winner, I'm going to go Klein, Klein by KO plus 330. Sign me up. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm actually eyeing for that one and a half. And I'm thinking just the over. But yeah, I don't think the fight goes the distance. But I think there, it will be a bit of a feeling out process. <clears throat> one thing about Devontae Smith is he's live in the first three to five minutes. I mean, the guy's got pretty good striking. He's athletic. He's got good footwork. And he's very sharp. He's intercepting Jamie Malarkey multiple times and stinging him. Good thing Malarkey's got a hell of a chin on him because... Devontae Smith looks great in that first round. Now, you say it was maybe the eye poke. Well, I wasn't a poke in the eye. They looked it at it like it was, the eye. it was a punch. Yeah, it was a punch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so here's my theory on that one, right? Not, not the moment he breaks mentally and says, you know what, I'm out of here. End of the first round, okay? He's had a great first three and a half, four minutes. End of the first round, there's about a minute left, and Malarkey's taking his best shots, and Malarkey starts charging forward. Clubs him a couple times, presses him up against the cage, 10-second clapper goes, picks him up, dumps him on the ground, punches him twice in the head, and that was the moment that Devontae Smith was like, oh, no, I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired. He took my best shots, and he's still coming after me. Now the second round starts, and he's already mentally broken. He gets punched in the face, complains that's an eye poke, not an eye poke, resumes, and then gets finished shortly thereafter. He's kind of just a five-round guy, or a one-round guy, sorry. He did look good against Justin James into that second round before getting the doctor stoppage, but I don't know how much resistance Justin James is realistically giving him. Common Worthy knocked him out in the first round. But you'd have to go all the way back to his loss to John Gunther to see the last time he lost. And once you know it, flat out gases in the third round and John Gunther takes over and TKOs him. So there's been history of him gassing out. Guys that move that well, guys that punch that fast, guys that hit that hard, generally do tend to taper off. And so I would agree that the longer the fight goes, Ludovic Klein should be able to take over. Ludovic Klein's also got an underrated takedown game. He got three takedowns against Mike Trezano, and nice takedowns, dude. Yeah. He was a little tired in the third round too, but he still got the takedown. Excellent entries, shoots right through. He had been training at Sanford MMA. Not sure if it's a visa issue, not sure if it's pandemic issue. It appears he's back home, not at Sanford for this camp. But again, he's young, he's talented, he's getting better, and I think if he uses his wrestling to tire Devontae Smith out early, that the finish will probably open itself later the fight goes. But his wrestling will slow down the tempo, we'll hit that over one and a half, and if he finishes him, it's when Devontae Smith tires and hits the one and a half. If Devontae is going to win, you got to think quick knockout. 
Klein's got a hell of a chin on him as well. So I don't, I don't know that quick knockout is a way to put this kid away. Uh, anything could happen. But at minus 150 for the over one and a half, again, that's that's where I'd be playing my safe money. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's keep this thing moving along. Next up, we got a flyweight fight between Tim Elliott against Tagir Ulenbekov. In terms of odds, we got minus 240 on Ulenbekov and plus 195 the return on Tim Elliott. Uh, very intriguing fight because I'm seeing a lot of love for Tim Elliott there. And I, I kind of get it because even though Ulenbekov's 2 0 in his UFC career, those performances have been kind of underwhelming considering the amount of hype he had coming into, in, into the UFC. Uh, I had him in a ton of parlays uh, in his UFC debut against Bruno Silva and I'm telling you Cody I was sweating that as soon as I went to the judges scorecards I'm like mm, is he gonna get this one I don't know I know it's on Fight Island there might be some of that you know Russian influence over there and luckily we were able to get his hand raised there but then obviously the next fight he uh, went up against Alan Nascimento and Nascimento won that first round pretty much off of his back right unanimously on the judges scorecards all three judges gave Alan Nascimento that first round had a couple close submission attempts was landing some strikes off of his back but then finally Tagira woke up and in that second and third round was trying to take over still found himself in a couple submissions there from alan nascimento but still uh got out of them and then started raining down some decent shots from on top to eventually get his hand raised that night um now going up against Tim Elliott, he's fighting another guy that's kind of wild and wacky. You know, sometimes off of his back, throws up submissions. Uh, even with the striking style, very unorthodox. Uh, you know, he's a switch stance fighter. Uh, doesn't really abide by the rules of uh, technical striking, uh, but still manages ha to have some good success. Uh, if you just look at the result of the Askar Askarov fight for Tim Elliott, you think that Askarov just wipes him. But that was a close fight, man. Uh, Tim Elliott was doing some good things in that fight. Landed some great takedowns, uh, some hip tosses in that fight. I believe Askarov, uh, you know, got shut out in terms of actually landing any takedowns in that fight, but was still doing good enough work with his hands to get his hand raised. But um, I, yeah, I was I was surprised at how close that actually was once I actually ran the tape back. But here against Ulan Bekov, man, Ulan Bekov does a very good job in terms of staying a step or two ahead of his opponent in terms of scrambles and anything on the mat. Uh, you know, there's not often you see him on his back. More often than not, he's trying to sprawl as best as possible and then eventually get his head higher than his opponents and get the uh, get the better of those grappling and, and scrambling exchanges. Uh, that's what I'm expecting to happen here as well. I don't mind his striking, right? I do think he has a cleaner, crisper striking compared to Tim Elliott, but even I have cleaner, crisper striking than Tim Elliott concerning how wild and wacky he throws his shots. But I still do think that Takir will get the better of some of those striking exchanges. But I do think it's just a matter of time before this hits the grappling exchanges. And then from there, I think we're going to see some back and forth. But more often than not, it's going to be Tagir kind of coming on top. Uh, there's only that one time that we saw Tim Elliott kind of, you know, gas out in the Brandon Roy Val fight where he gave up a submission in that fight. And I wouldn't take too much away from that, especially considering how Brandon Roy Val fights, right? The guy's a wacky motherfucker in his own right. But I feel like Tagir will get the top position more often than not in this fight. And I think he'll be able to grind this fight out. The line that sticks out to me the most, though, is the over two and a half at minus 165. I'm expecting a ton of grappling exchanges here. And I'd kind of be surprised if either guy locks up a submission or even gets a dominant position to the point of raining down some big blows from on top. So, uh, Cody, you know me. I'm a, I'm a violence guy. But at minus 165 for two fighters like this, who, you know, more often than not, if you look through their record, they do, they do go to decision once they're fighting like legitimate competition. 
give me the decision here, man. Uh, even the fight to go to a decision is currently sitting at minus 150. Uh, Ulan Bekov via decision plus 130. That's kind of the method of victory prop that I'd stick with. But even the fight goes to the decision to cover both sides because Tim Elliott could make this fight close with these very close fights, especially with what we've been seeing from Ulan Bekov recently. But give me the fight goes to decision at minus 150, over two and a half at minus 165. <clears throat> Sign me up. Am I am I speaking out of turn here? How do you see this one going down? Yeah, straight up, this is gonna be my apple pie shitter of the week because I'm gonna Ooh. I'm gonna bet to gear, and uh, I got a feeling that he's probably gonna <laughs> pull some wonky business and lose. But I'm going I'm going to bet him. <clears throat> I do like him. Tim Elliott's definitely a wild card because he's got the unorthodox style, like you said. Dominic Cruz, if he smoked a, a hit of meth right before he went out there, um, but it's really hard to get a gauge of. And the thing is, is that him at his best, he's got some decent volume. His volume better than Tagir. Tagir might have maybe sharper, more linear strikes. He's a big, long guy. He fights long. But Tim Elliott's going to hit you from awkward angles. If he moves forward, he's going to have a lot of success. You see him in the Matus Nikolau fight, especially early in the first round. It's like, my God, Tim Elliott. You know, how do you get a beat on this guy? And he's got the volume. Here's my thing, though, right? I loaded up onto Gear's last two fights, and I had the same sweat that you did, my friend. But the first time around against Bruno San uh, Silva, Bruno just had a bad UFC record. He was 0-2 at the time. He was 0-3 after he lost to Gear. But dude is super tough, you know? Training yeah. partner of Henry Cejudo in the room every day. It's a solid victory, especially for a UFC debut. Second fight, it's difficult to fight a guy that's going to throw up that many submissions because the entire time you're on top, you're defending submissions, and what are the judges looking at? Are they looking at, I defended everything he threw up or the fact that he threw a pile of submissions? So those are very difficult styles to deal with. Tim Elliott at his best can wrestle, he can strike, he can throw up sub submissions, and he can fight 15 minutes, no problem. That's him at his best. I just don't think he's at his best anymore. He's 35 years old now, but he's had a lot of wear and tear. Just bear with me on this one. The Brandon Roy Valfa, you said it yourself. He gasped, right? Because he did. He has a decent first round, pushes a pace, second round. Not the Tim Elliott of old. Tim Elliott of old went 25 minutes against Demetrius Johnson. This guy, tired after two rounds. Fair. Ryan Benoit fight. Very interesting, this Ryan Benoit fight. So, on all three judges' scorecards, he loses the third round to Ryan Benoit. On top of that, couchside judges, MMA Junkie, MMA Mania, two guys from SureDog, Polescat Sports, Combat Press, and Nick Baldwin from The Score, shout out Nick Baldwin, WrestlingObserver.com, TheBodyLock.com, and Fansided, and Abila B Press. Anyways, all score the fight for Ryan Benoit. All of those credible MMA journalists, media news sites, Score the fight for Benoit. All three judges give the third round for Ryan Benoit because Tim tired. And that's not something that Tim used to do, but he did it in the Royval fight, and then he did it there. The Jordan Espinosa fight was a cruiser because he already trained with the guy. He knew he could take him down. And once he did take him down, Espinosa didn't do shit. So he didn't necessarily tire in that one, but it was just a, there was no resistance being pressed against him. And then that last fight against Matus Nicolau starts off great. First round, Tim Elliott wins it. Second round, Tim starts to slow. Second round, Nikolaus landing the more meaningful shots. And second round goes to Matus Nikolaus. The third round, for whatever reason, James Krause tells him, you're up two. Yeah. And Matus just takes him down, and he just pfft, sets up in full guard. He puts, he just goes to neutralize positions, lockdown. He goes after the lockdown a few times, and just, I'm just going to hold this guy on top of me for the entire round. Gets up with like a minute left, and there's just not enough time to steal the round back. Bonehead move, first of all. Second of all, look like he tired again. And third of all, if that's what you're going to do when you're on your back, good luck because Takir is going to put you on your back. So 
Tim Elliott of old, yeah, he can spring the upset. He's definitely live, and he still is. He still is. But his last four, he just doesn't look like he's got the same pace that you're going to need to put onto gear. And for that reason, got to go with Ulan Bekov, who's been in camp with Islam Makachev, and just all the best guys right now. And they're all in camp around the same period of time. I got to assume he's good to go for a hard 15, and I'm not sure Elliott's going to have that same ability. So I go with Tagir. Now, again, you're going to, I would go with the uh, fight goes the distance. I would go with the over two and a half. And the Tagir by points is like, what, plus 150? Pretty good, too. I, no, I, I like that. Sorry, I thought you were going to add something to the end of that as yeah. well. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm glad that you kind of see it uh, same as me in terms of seeing this fight go the full 15 minutes. Uh, if Tagir goes out there and actually gets a finish, like kind of going on with some of the narrative that you're saying that Tim Elliott, you know, not of old anymore, and he could potentially gas out his one, Tagir could take advantage from there. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind taking that L on the chin though, but I see this one kind of just being a grinding fight where Tim Elliott stays safe enough, but Tagir still kind of dominates from dominates him from on top all right let's move on to the next fight here another russian uh monster we got umer nurmakamedov going up against brian kelleher in terms of odds we got minus 675 on nermi and plus 475 on brian boom kelleher uh interesting fight here um uh, Umer Namagomedov, uh, a great kicking game. That's something that we've obviously seen from him, uh, obviously in his UFC debut against Sergey Morozov uh, uh, early last year. Uh, he's been relatively inactive. I'm not 100% sure why, but he has been inactive, uh, and this is going to be his first fight back in 14 months. Regardless, uh, going up against a veteran like Brian Kelleher, I still think he's going to be able to go out there and perform. Uh, he, Like I said, he does a good job in the kicking range, kind of throwing spinning kicks and just staying active enough with the kicks from the outside, and then just waiting for the perfect opportunity to eventually close that distance, land his takedowns, and really start pulling these guys to the ringer. Brian Kelleher, you know, solid veteran, man. Like, uh, you know, uh, we saw him deal with a, a wrestle-heavy approach from a guy like Hunter Azure back in the day, kept that fight standing, and eventually found that knockout in the second round. But then we know there's levels to this, right? Then he goes up against Ricky Simone and is not able to stop takedowns there. And we see Ricky Simone kind of just cruise through that fight as well. But you have to respect the power that Brian Kelleher has. If you come in sloppy at all he will take full advantage of that but that's also where his kind of downfall in this fight is it's the it's the having to exchange in the pocket to be able to have success and i'd be surprised if we see umer in the pocket for longer than five seconds at a time or even three seconds at a time if he's in the pocket more than likely he's going to be on your hips if he's in the pocket it's more than likely he's entering to get onto your hips to eventually get the takedown otherwise he's going to stay safe at range and try to kick you from the outside until he finds that opportunity to take you down uh kelleher mean guillotine obviously that's something that umer is going to have to look out for here but you know, shoot me in the head if Umer Nurmagomedov goes out there and gets guillotined by a guy like Brian Keller. I'd be surprised if he falls for something like that. Maybe a possible club and sub. Okay, I'd understand that. But if it's a clean takedown and a clean guillotine, I'd give up capping fights, honestly, if that ever happens. But uh, I still do think that we'll see Nurmagomedov have success here. Uh, I don't think he finishes Kelleher, to be honest. Kelleher is quite durable. Um, it, it's going to be very tough to put a guy like that away. Uh, and I think uh, Nurmagomedov wants to stay as safe as possible in this fight. And to do that, he's going to have to accumulate as much top control as possible. So the way that I kind of see this going, uh, over two and a half, that's uh, currently at minus 135. Uh, and then obviously Nurmagomedov via decision that currently sits at even money or even at plus 100 depending on where you get it uh 
uh, yeah, I, I have a feeling you like a side here quite a lot, Cody, so I'll let you get to it. You know what? I can't really add much. I'm on the, all the exact same points. Basically, Umar Nurmagomedov standing is going to be too fast for Brian Kelleher. Kelleher likes to set up his boxing, but he likes to sit down flat-footed on his punches, and Umar's just not there to be a target. I mean, the guy's got a very versatile kicking game where he'll throw question mark kicks, he'll throw crescent kicks, he'll throw inside low kicks, outside low kicks, you know, go, go mid-range body. He can kind of do it all. And then the key here is going to be he's going to shoot in a takedown off of those kicks and then take Brian Kelleher down, and then that should be the fight. Kelleher's last three fights, it's really been the tale of who's got the better wrestling. His last fight against Kevin Kroom and Domingo Pilarte, well, he, right, he had the better wrestling. The fight before that with Ricky Simone, he did not have the better wrestling, and he just gets taken down repeatedly. Does he got a ga nasty guillotine choke? For sure. But, I mean, he's only sub Ray Rodriguez and o Odie Osborne in the last three, four years with it, so... Is he going to catch Umar Nurmagomedov? Although possible, because it is MMA, I would assume that that's a position that these Russian guys are working on tons, is don't put your head on the outside, don't get snared up in one of these guillotines. So I, I just think it's going to be rinse and repeat. Now, I will give Kelleher the benefit of the doubt. His chin, rock solid. He'd been knocked out by John Lineker, but it was in the third round, and it was in a fight he knew he was losing. There's like a minute and a half left, and he was like, time to go out of my shield, and just bum-rushed forward. It was such a bad decision. But it showed the guy's got balls. I'm not going to hold that one against him. I think he's got a good chin. His submission game, <laughs> I mean, Cheeto submitted him five years ago with an arm bar, so let's throw that one out as well. The Montel Jackson one, again, it's like four years ago, but Montel Jackson didn't really have a refined grappling game at the time, and he subbed him with a Darce choke in the first round. So Umar could, in theory, put a pre pressure on him, bust him down, and then the later the fight goes, if he takes his back, he's got one hell of a grip on him, and he loves a rear naked choke. You could see it happening. But I would agree with you on your assessment that probably points decision. So I got Umar by points. I've got the fight that goes the distance. Uh, last but not least, if you're a little bit worried, because it is a big price tag because uh, of the 14-month layoff, he hadn't fought in 13 months before the Sergey Morozov fight, right? Yeah. I mean, he fought Brian Gonzalez. He takes 13 months off. He smokes right through Morozov and looks awesome. And then he's coming over off a 13-month layoff. I'm going to expect he's going to look awesome again. And he's only 26 years old, so... Some guys' last names are Nurmagomedov, like Saeed, right? He's not even related to Khabib. Yeah. And this guy is, right? So he's his cousin, but uh, he's he's in the room with the best guys in the world again, just like uh, Ulan Bekov. When you're training at that level consistently and there's real, there's expectations from the guys, you're uh, you generally tend to succeed. So I think he's got I think he's got a I don't want to say easy money here, right? But he he's clearly the pick of the week for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I do quickly want to clear something up because I have seen a couple of these things in the comment section about my guy, John, MMA Fox, that does the fight night shows. Uh, he is a dog hunter. He likes, you know, saying that, you know, some dogs may have value. Some dogs are a little bit more alive than people are saying. Uh, I don't get why people are upset by him saying something like that, because every show that you go to will give you the same take in regards to the big favorite should be the favorite. He's going to go out there and smoke him. Let's not even consider Brian Keller as a live dog. And again, me and Cody are saying that right now as well, right? But to get the perspective of why an underdog could be live is never a bad thing. No. I don't understand why there's there's nothing wrong with trying to make a case for an underdog. Not saying that they're going to win, but just to try to get you to think outside of the box, right? If everybody keeps thinking favorites are always going to win no matter what, then you're going to lose money on spots where the underdog ends up winning, right? Uh, Calvin Cater the, uh, at the beginning of January, everybody was on Giga Chikadze that that week, it seemed, and Calvin Cater pulls off the upset. Uh, even before that, last year, uh, Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Kibos, another spot, Amanda Kibos was supposed to wipe the floor. I make the take for Marina Rodriguez. I think John made the take for Marina Rodriguez as well. Like, it pays off every now and then. 
I know I get it. People only want winning tickets, but don't let the fact that we're trying to make a case for the underdog sway you to the point of taking the underdog. Go ahead and take the favorite, but hear us out as well in terms of why we think a certain underdog has some value or is more live than most people are making it seem to be. That's all it is. That is all it is. Hear us out. At the end of the day, it is you hitting the submit button on your tickets, on your bets, and you just take our information, put it up against yours. If you like what you still like, even after hearing what we have to say, make the bet. If we sway you, we sway you. But at the end of the day, you're the one that ends up making the bet. That's all I got to say. I just, I, I can't get with the, the, the Fox hate as much anymore. How can you hate somebody for making a case for an underdog, right? At the end of the day, sure, the favorite's supposed to win, but try to hear out a different uh, point of view as well, rather than everything you're going to hear from every MMA podcast this week. They're going to say the same thing. So to bring a different flavor and have somebody that's a little bit more dog-centric, I don't think it's as bad of a thing as most people are making it out to be. That's all I had to say. Got to get that off my chest, Cody. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, ahead. sounds like you're fired up, dude. I didn't I didn't see any hate personally. I don't know. I didn't know if John was taking any flack. But yeah, again, it's good to talk about what's the underdog's path to victory because you want to know how much faith you have in these guys, right? Every underdog has a path for sure. But I, I will admit, I'm not mad. Who gives a shit about that? I will admit the one thing for me is that I can make a very valid case for every single underdog in this car. Easy, mm -hmm. right? Well, maybe not Kelleher, but apparently John can. Uh, but other than that, it's like you can you can make a solid case for all the underdogs. So sometimes in my my feed, it's the reason why I don't watch a whole lot of other cappers shows. Is the more you just see shit in your feed, the more you start questioning your own stuff. The more yeah. you're like, mm, this guy's got Keller. I got a <laughs> lot of money under Magomedov. So what am I missing? What am I missing? Yeah. And then it uh, it messes with you a little bit. So maybe that's what they're mad about. I, maybe I, I don't know. I've had pretty positive. I had to block a dude like two days ago, but outside of that, I've had really good interactions with people yeah. for the most part. For sure. Again, we're all here to give you guys as much information as possible to make the most educated bets you guys can. And again, at the end of the day, it's you hitting the bet, uh, uh, submit bet, not us. But we're just trying to provide you guys with that information. All right, let's move on and get back to the show here. Next up, we got Marina Moroz going up against Maria Agapova. Minus 190 on Agapova, plus 160 on Marina Moroz. Cody, this is the first of two grudge matches that we have on the card. This is the grudge match. <laughs> this is the grudge match. Yeah. This is the one that we're not even questioning whether it's fake or not because we know how real it actually is. Obviously, Marina Moroz, uh, last year, I believe she kind of put Agapova on blast. They used to be training partners at American Top Team, saying that she would come in high off her ass and you know just kind of uh, harassing and threatening people uh you know you know looking at maria agapova i can't say that she she's, she's talking shit let's be honest but again they finally get to throw down here and finally uh kind of settle their beef inside the cage which is the best way to do it right like imagine if this was two basketball players talking shit to each other oh i'm gonna drain this three in your face bro okay sure <laughs> sick <laughs> whereas in mma we're actually gonna see them throw down and try to punch each other in the face and knock each other out so i'm very much excited for it um I think there could be some uh, recency bias on the Maria Agapova side, especially considering how she dispatched of Sabina Mazzo last time around. Marina Moroz, uh, solid fighter, right? She's she's decent. She's not like this uh, a rollover that, uh, that Agapova is going to have here. I think Agapova will still win. Don't get me wrong. I think she'll be successful with her movement, uh, kind of striking from the outside. I think it could look similar to the Sabina Mazzo fight where Moroz is the one kind of moving forward, throwing the straight shots down the middle may get the clinch or takedown game going, uh, but I do think it'll be the harder shots from Agapova 
that end up landing here. And uh, I do think that she could maybe find another club in some situation, but I do think that this goes the full 15 minutes here. But Agapovo will more than likely get a hand raised by landing the cleaner, crisper shots from the outside. So uh, I'm looking at Agapova by decision, which is currently at plus 175. The over two and a half is around minus 185 right now. I like both of those spots, man. Again, I think with the grudge match here, a lot of people are expecting it to end inside the distance. My only concern is Agapova seems like the type of uh, fighter that will get rattled by emotions and may fight emotionally as well. That's what we saw in the Sh Shanna Dobson fight. She saw herself as a massive favorite that she should go out there and absolutely mop the floor with Shanna Dobson. And unfortunately, she didn't. She ended up getting, you know, finished herself. So hopefully she learns something from that and she can kind of be a little bit more disciplined inside the cage, stick to the game plan, stick on the outside, stick those shots as best as possible and take home a decision victory. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if this comes to the third round and she is having tremendous success in the first two rounds that she starts to let it go a little bit more looking for that finish to try to put that statement on. So this might be another one of those spots where we can look at uh, fighter wins in the final round or via decision. Uh, let me just quickly pull up what that is. Uh, pa -pa 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 -pa. Uh, okay, it doesn't seem like there are any props for that specifically but uh morose or sorry agapova round three submission is plus 1700 um uh yeah fight ends final round or goes to decision at plus 135 is not too bad of a prop either how do you see this one going down yeah listen it's women's mma it's going to be a striking battle over the course of 15 probably going to be close probably going to be competitive probably someone going to be sour at the end of it when they hear the judges scorecards so I, I would think Marina Morose is definitely a live underdog. She's got to get her volume going. She's probably also got to try to get her wrestling going. But I just find it very difficult to get behind Agapova. Like, on one hand, she loses as a minus 1,500 favorite, which you just don't see in MMA. And then the next time out, she beats Sabina Mazzo, and it's like she's all of a sudden some great fighter. It's like, I don't know. Like you said, it could be recency bias and... That's what I'm leaning towards. Uh, ATT got to have lots of drama there, man. It sounds like all the great beefs come out of American Top Team. Like, I don't know what the hell the training environment's like, but uh, pretty it's nuts. It's the Florida air, Cody. It's the Florida air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, on one hand, it's, I think it's easy to say, well, Agapova's probably got the better volume. She's longer. She's rangier. She hits a little bit harder. She's going to stay to the outside. And the way she looked in her last fight against Mazzo, she had good cardio, which is an improvement. Physically, she's coming a long way. And she's just going to be aggressive and pounce on you. So she's the obvious pick. But what could potentially go wrong with this? So I'm going to play the contrarian on, on why do we not want to load up on Agapova. So a few things, right? But for Marina Morones, right? If you're worried about is this fight going to go the distance, which, by the way, that's at the prop I'm going to go with as well. Just like you said, fight goes the distance, minus 155. Uh, Marina Morones has had seven fights in the last seven years. And they've all gone 15 minutes. <laughs> like She goes to decision, right? She's not going to knock you out. I don't think you're going to knock her out. Valerie Letourneau, what, seven years ago, dropped her on her ass with a beautiful right hand. But, I mean, she popped up. Her eyes swelled all the way shut almost, and she fought on, right? She's got a pretty good chin. I'd expect that to be the case here. So durability she's got, the experience she's got. She's still at the main ATT facility in Coconut Creek, whereas Agapova's at ATT Sunrise. In fact, one of Moroz's top training partners for this camp has been Joanny and Jacek. And one of Agapova's top training parties for her camp was Luis Pena. So, <laughs> ATT Sunrise got to have a weird-ass vibe in the room there, too, I bet. <laughs> uh, I just don't know what to make of it. Now, here's another thing. Marina Moreau's awful wrestling, right? I mean, she shows career in the UFC 18% in 
takedown accuracy and was not known to have a wrestling game. But her last two fights, the Sabina Mazo fight, she's on the hips the entire fight. Scores a takedown in the first, nice little takedown, pull and, uh, push and pull off the cage, and then good top control. Second and third round, can't quite get the fight to the ground, but is committed to takedowns the entire way. It was a different game plan from her, but it was nice to see. Her next fight against Mara Buena Silva, she's looking for takedowns again, gets two of them, establishes top control, lands a whole lot of ground and pound, and for the first time in her UFC career, cracks over 100 significant strikes landed, coming in at 139. So she could have volume. She could have a wrestling advantage. She has an experience advantage. She likely is training in a better training room. This is all like live underdog stuff. So now, now the great thing here is I'm not on bookie beatdown. I'm not on dogger pass. I don't got to make a straight pick. I got to hit a prop. Fight goes That's the true. distance. Minus That's 155. Cold. Who cares who wins? Fight goes the distance. Minus 155. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm right on board with you there. Um, hopefully Agapova doesn't fight super emotional and she can actually allow this thing to cross that uh, 12 and a half minute mark for us as well. Can I just take right. one more thing? Sorry. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Last thing to throw in there is that Agapova's got shit takedown defense, right? M Sabina Mazo shot zero. So, of course, she got zero. Don't have to talk about that one. Shayna Dobson went two for two. Yeah. Two for two, man, Preet. In round one as well, which is interesting because that was supposed to be Agapova's most yeah. dominant round, right? Now, Tracy Cortez will give you a pass because she's a hell of a wrestler, right? So, yeah. four takedowns there, it doesn't really matter. And then the only other fight is Hannah Cyphers, and she never shot one single takedown. So... Can this girl stuff takedowns? I can't with a clear conscious look you in the face and tell you, yes, she can stuff takedowns. I don't know. And I don't want to be holding a minus 190 Agapova ticket or an Agapova by decision ticket and realize midway through the first, shit, she can't. <laughs> so uh, that's just the buyer's beware. And of course, women's MMA. So you probably already knew the buyer beware. Exactly. All right, let's move on to the next fight, which is a light heavyweight fight between Nikolai Negomeriano going up against Kennedy and Zetchuku. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 135 for Zetchuku and plus 115 for Negomeriano. Uh, interesting fight here, right? You got Negomeriano who's uh, putting together a couple wins, not something a lot of people expected him to do, especially after losing his debut in dominant fashion to one Saperbay Safarov. Uh, but now here he is uh, on a winning streak. Um, going up against uh, Kennedy and Zetsuku, who obviously uh, faltered to Da Unyung last time around to some elbows in that first round. But uh, I actually see this fight playing out similar to the Darko Stosic fight for Kennedy and Zetsuku, where we're going to see takedown attempts from uh, Negumerianu. Uh, I believe Stosic landed four takedowns in that fight. But we see Kennedy and Zetsuku boasting an 80% takedown defense rate. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Paul Craig went 1 of 16 on takedowns and Danilo Marquez went 2 of 12 on takedowns. So, yeah, th th take it with a little bit of grain of salt. But one thing that I found with Kennedy, he does work to get his back, get back to the feet pretty well. Even in clinch exchanges, you see him kind of digging the underhook almost immediately to uh, turn his opponent around, push them up against the cage, and get back into distance. And I feel like that's what he's going to be able to do here against uh, Nikolai as well. <clears throat> Nikolai will be at a five-inch height and reach disadvantage, and I think that size is going to play a huge factor here for the Kennedy and Zetsuku side. I'm seeing some love for the Nikolai side, thinking that he's going to be able to land takedowns and grind out Kennedy, but I think he's going to struggle to really get him down, and I think he's going to struggle to even keep him down. And then at range, I think we'll see Kennedy kind of touch him up from the outside. I think even if he wants to kind of engage in the clinch or the takedowns, he could be successful in doing that, but I think that this will look more than likely like that Darko Stosic fight, like I said, 
where Kennedy, you know, I, I believe Stosis lost two points in that fight, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, keeping Kennedy, uh, throwing strikes, staying active from the outside, I think that's going to be his best way to win this fight. Um, I'm looking at the over one and a half, which is minus 160. Again, I see this kind of being slow paced with a lot of clinching and grappling exchanges, which should allow this to cross that seven and a half minute mark. Um, if you want to get ballsy, fight starts round three plus 100. I don't think that's a bad spot either. Uh, but even Kennedy and Zeshko to win via decision is currently sitting at plus 400. I think there's a tremendous amount of value there, man. Nego Mariano has shown solid durability. And Kennedy, you know, it, it doesn't seem like he has the craziest power on his shots, but he does a good enough job in terms of establishing his dominance. And I feel like maybe halfway through this fight, Nego Mariano is going to start to respect him a little bit too much. And we see the pace of this fight really start to go down. So, um, yeah, I, I like Kennedy. Kennedy by decision at plus 400 is just screaming my name, though. How do you see this one going down? You know, I love me and my decision props. I got a feeling <laughs> Kennedy's going to topple him over and TKO him at some point. I don't even mind. Ah, oh, mine. Such a small little sprinkle because you guys like to talk about those long shot ones uh, every once in a while. But Kennedy th round three TKO, a plus 1,000, right? I, I just got a feeling that he's going to keep putting pressure on uh, Nigger Mariano, break him down, maybe hurt him late. So here's kind of the theory behind it, right? And you mentioned you thought Nick Nigger Mariano was going to try to wrestle him because, of course, you know, Stoicis was able to take him down. Daniel Marquez is able to take him down. Maybe not so fast. His UFC debut against Saverbeck Safarov, he never shot one single takedown. In fact, he got taken down three times, and his wrestling looked absolutely abysmal. Atrocious. Then you didn't see him for three and a half years. Then he comes back against Alexa Kamor, where he went one for five in takedowns. Not necessarily impressive. But beyond that, dude, Alexa Kamor outstruck him 102 to 71. Okay. Almost everything that Alexa Kamor threw landed, and it landed flush, and it landed flush right on the chip. Now, keep in mind, Alexa Kamor has a 74 inch reach, and Nick Negamariano has actually got a 78 inch reach. They got a four inch reach advantage on, on Kamor. And yet he got boxed up until Kamor gassed out. Kennedy has an 83-inch reach. He's got a 9-inch reach advantage on Kmore. That's how much longer it is. You don't think this guy's going to touch you up from the outside? You've got a prom on your hands. And then beyond that, his fight with Ike Villanueva, he actually did shoot one takedown, and he didn't get it. So I don't think his wrestling shit. I don't think it is. I think he's the kind of guy that's tough, and that'll stand in the pocket, and will try to come forward and club you. But I don't know that's enough. Kennedy's 6'5". He's a big boy. He looked awful against Dong Jung. I didn't expect him to get knocked out. I didn't expect to get knocked out like that. First time he's ever been knocked out. So am I a little bit worried that he might be a little bit fragile? He could have a chin issue? Yes. But Dong Jung's a talented fighter, so I'm inclined to give him an ever so slight pass. When you look at his fights that, you know, he's looking half decent in, it's almost just volume, volume, volume until you topple over and break. Daniil did his best to hold on to the guy, but when he got tired of doing that, he gets knocked out. Carlos Olberg hit him like 140 significant strikes, and when that failed to put him over, he knocks him out. Uh, you look at a lot of his regional show fights, very limited level of competition, but the guy's just so big, I think he's going to hurt you when he hits you. And even though he's 29, he's not a young prospect, being at Fortis MMA, they're going to be able to help develop this guy and help him find his range. And he's in the big octagon here. It's not the small little apex. It's going to be tougher for Nega Mariano to track him down and chase him for the extent of 15 minutes while getting punched in the face by a guy of that size. So... I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say Kenny's the first guy to take him out. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can get decent prop money on uh, on the TKO, but I could just, I got some weird feeling that he probably takes him out in the third and that plus 1,000. I'd be happy with that. 
you know, that's my kind of play right there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you shouted that one. I, I could see that absolutely happening as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. But again, that over one and a half at minus 160-ish, uh, I don't think that's a bad look either, as this will more than likely get dragged late. If Diego Mariani can survive, though, Again, hopefully it's after the seven and a half minute mark, but then hopefully Kennedy can take over after that. All right, let's go over this next fight now because I'm very excited about this one. It's a strawweight bout between Marina Rodriguez against Yan Xiaonan. Um, Marina Rodriguez coming off of two main event slots. Now they bury her on the prelims, which I just don't understand because if she wins this fight, it's in, you know, you could possibly set her up for a title shot in the very near future, right? She has a decent winning streak going on uh, and some big main event wins. And now to have a win over Yan Nan would obviously, you know, be very good for her. But I, I just, I don't really understand this line, to be honest. <clears throat> Minus 275 for Rodriguez, plus 210 on the Chinese fighter Yan Nan. Now, I do think that there's there's a ton of recency bias on this, right? With like like I said on the Rodriguez side, she's coming off of two dominant main event victories over Michelle Waterson and uh, Mackenzie Dern. Whereas on the flip side with Yandra and going into the Carla Esparza fight as a favorite. She obviously gets finished by Carlos Esparza in a completely different way than Rodriguez fights, right? This fight, that fight mainly took place on the ground with Carla landing takedowns almost at will and just punishing from on top. And I think a lot of people are overreacting to that. More often than not, we see Rodriguez go out there and strike exactly what Yan Zhao Nan does as well. And I feel like if this is a 15-minute kickboxing match, the odds are going to look a lot closer than minus 275, right? I think people are forgetting how lethal Yan is as well. She's a very good striker. She's a potent striker. She has a ton of power behind her strikes as well. And I think it's been a couple of training camps now that she's aligned herself with uh, with Team Alpha Male, which could only mean good things for her for hopefully her grappling, right? Dealing with somebody's grappling like Carlos Esparza is one thing. Carlos Esparza has been a lifetime wrestler. But dealing with other fighters like Marina Rodriguez, who's not a potent grappler, maybe it's going to help her out in that aspect. But uh, again, I, I do think this fight's going to play out pretty close. I do think it, we actually see it go the full t uh, 15 minutes. And obviously, the fight goes to decision. It's currently hanging at minus 225. But I'm, I'm kind of feeling the Yan Nan side. We haven't really seen Rodriguez go up against another like decent striker, right? Like I think Tisha Torres is probably the best striker that we've seen Marina Rodriguez face up until this point. Whereas we've seen, you know, uh, Yan Nan go up against uh, women like Angela Hale and Karolina Kavakovic. Obviously, completely different strikers mm. compared to what Marina Rodriguez is, but they're still strikers in a sense, right? Whereas Rodriguez is fighting these other women that aren't as potent in the striking realm. Yan Nan will be the first legitimate striker that she's facing, facing, in my opinion. And we haven't seen how she deals with somebody like that. She could still go out there, out there and get the better of her. Don't get me wrong. That is absolutely on the table. But I think people are just disregarding Yan Nan just due to that last fight against Carla Esparza. So I do think that we'll see a, a very competitive fight here. Uh, I'd be surprised if you see grappling from either side. If Marina Rodriguez goes out there and grapples right off the bat... Then yeah, I, I don't feel too good about that plus two twenty on the Yan Zhao Nan side. But how often has she actually gone out there and pursued that type of game plan? Again, every fight is a different puzzle. Maybe she decides to bring that piece into this puzzle to make it an easier fight for her. But I'm interested to see how Yan Zhao Nan potentially has prepared for that approach if that's what she takes. But Yan Zhao Nan to win via decision is plus three hundred. But even her money line, I think, is a little bit of a steal. This fight's going to be much closer than the odds suggest. I do like the Yanja on Nan side. I'd be surprised if there's a finish. I'd be surprised if there's grappling. And if it goes the way that I'm expecting it to go, 
I like my plus 300 decision line on Yan Zhao Nan and even the money line at plus 220. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's another case where, to me, it's women's MMA. It's going to be a kickboxing match for 15 minutes, and it's going to be probably a closely contested fight. So I don't know how much overexposure you want in on it. And with Marina Rodriguez, I feel like she hits harder than Yan. Yan might have slightly better volume, but I, I, I don't... With Marina Rodriguez, clearly her problem is the grappling, right? She's got subpar takedown defense. If you take her down, she spends a little too much time off her back, and she gives time away. With Jan, I don't know that she can actually wrestle. Like, the Carolina Kovalkiewicz fight's the only time that she really uses that wrestling. And and it, I think it's it's because Carolina initiated it. That's, yeah, she's yeah. kind of half pulling guard. Like, she's half just, here, take me down, because I don't want to strike anymore, so let's fall over to our back, and, and, and that's where this is going to spend time. Yeah. Generally, she has her way against these opponents. She'll go out there, and she'll back them up. She throws decent volume, but it's almost like pint-sized portion because of the talent that she's fighting. I can't say with a straight face that, that you know, Rodriguez would do the same thing when you're fighting Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Angela Hill was probably her best fight, but... For someone, does she have power? She went seven straight fights, uh, six straight fights in the UFC, all decision. All of her wins, all six of them, decision, gets smashed by Carlos Barza. But Kaylee Curran, that's soft, right? Yeah. Vivian Pereira, she went two and two in the UFC and fanned out. Siri Kondo, very, very soft, right? Angela Hill, that's a solid victory. Carolina Kovacavich, soft. Claudia was at the end of her run. It's, I'm, it's not to discredit her level of, talent, uh, of opponents. I would just say this is a step up for her. Meanwhile... With Rodriguez, you mentioned you didn't think that she fought like any, you know, real big name strikers, but Michelle Watterson's a solid striker. She's able to fight her pretty competitive all the way at 25 minutes, get the decision. Tisha Torres, not only, as you alluded to, good striker, best striker she's probably fought, she smoked Tisha Torres. That fight was not competitive. She absolutely kicked the crap out of Torres. And Torres is, you never really see her get out of class like that in the striking department. So I think there's stuff that you can like from her. Her last two fights were 25 minutes, this one's only 15. So maybe she's going to be able to push her foot on the gas a little bit. And if she stuffs the takedowns, lands the more meaningful shots, she edges this thing out. But at the kind of line that it's currently sitting at, yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame Hunter Man if you're watching. Shout out to Hunter Man. It's not a bad dog pick whatsoever. Probably going to be close. Probably going to be competitive. And we've seen this the last two weeks, right? Uh, last week, everyone's upset about Kim and Cachoeira because it's a close kickboxing yeah. match for 15 minutes. That could go either way. And the week before that, they're upset with the Diana Balbita fight. Do you know something? It's a close kickboxing match for 15 minutes. And women's MMA can go either way. Yeah. So that's what you're getting here. You're not you're not far off on, on thinking the dog has a chance. I think you're absolutely right. My official pick would be Marina Rodriguez. I still think she does get the job done. I just don't feel like super confident about it. Yeah, uh, shout out to Embe as well, saying that Jan should have stopped Carolina. I thought they were going to stop that fight because I think she like ruptured her tear duct or something. If you remember that fight where mm. Carolina had like an eye patch after the fight and put out one of the saddest videos afterwards that almost made me shed a tear because of how heartbroken she was about that loss. But I had like a, I think it was a plus eight hundred ticket on Yan Nan to win via TKO that night, and good uh, God, was it so close? They should have stopped that fucking fight. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. It was a beating. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, and it is the prelim headliner. Very much looking forward to this one. It's a lightweight fight between Jalen Turner and Jamie Malarkey. We got minus 155 on Jalen Turner, who's been taking a ton of love on the money line because he was closer to evens, or at least closer to minus 120 earlier in the week. Uh, on the flip side for Jamie Malarkey, we got plus 135. Very fun fight here between two developing guys who have more often than not been overlooked, right? Jalen Turner in his last fight against Urush Medic was the underdog. Everybody 
sipping that Rosh Medic uh, juice, obviously with the way he was able to starch Alan Cruz in his UFC debut, and then obviously won his contender series fight the way that he won. But uh, it's it's fade Alaska FC till we die, Cody. And I don't care if I lost that money on Alan Cruz. I was going to get it back on Jalen Turner, and I'm glad I ended up doing that here. Uh, now he's going up against Jamie Malarkey, who's really coming into his own as well, right? He had that crazy fight with Brad Riddell in his UFC debut way back at, uh, I think it was the Izzy and uh, Anderson uh, card way back in the day, or it could have been the Izzy and Robert Whitaker card. Crazy fight back and forth, uh, uh, and Brad Riddell ends up picking up the victory that night. But since then, Jamie Malarkey, man, goes out there, knocks out Kama Worthy uh, in the first round, and then follows that up by knocking out Devontae Smith in the second round. Now he's going up against Jalen Turner. Uh, I think Turner is the better striker from the outside. Obviously, he's going to be very lengthy in this fight. He does a decent job in terms of maintaining his distance. His jiu-jitsu is obviously getting much better. Obviously, he showed it off in that Rosh Medish fight. I think that uh, I'm seeing a lot of people draw comparisons to the Matt Frivola fight for Jalen Turner, saying that if Matt Frivola can get this guy continuously over and over again, more than likely, Jamie Malarkey should be able to do the same thing. But... I think people are fail, failing to recognize how good the wrestling on Matt Favola actually is, man. He, that's a guy that continuously gets uh, underrated. And I think that uh, if people are trying to compare the wrestling game of Malarkey and Favola, I think they're going to be sadly mistaken this weekend as I don't think that Malarkey will have that much success with it. He might be able to land one or two takedowns, but I don't think it's going to be anything that changes the, the tide of this fight. Uh, I like Turner here. Uh, I do think he kind of pieces up Jamie Malarkey from outside. Uh, Malarkey, like I said, very durable, very tough to put this guy away. Uh, I think his last KO loss, uh, yeah, sorry, his uh, second last KO loss actually came to Alexander Volkanovsky about six years ago. Uh, he did lose another fight after that via elbows, but since then his durability has been able to hold up. I don't know if Jalen Turner has that crazy one-punch knockout power that it's going to require to put out a guy like Jamie Malarkey, so I do see this fight actually going the distance, man. Uh, I think uh, over one and a half, minus 155. Uh, uh, by the way, I got to say, this is probably the first time I've picked these many overs and these many fights to go to decision <laughs> on any episode that we've done together, Cody. Uh, but I do see this fight going over one and a half at minus 155. I like that fight to go to decision plus 150. Don't mind that either. But uh, Turner by decision plus 300 would be my method of victory prop here. How do you see this one going down, bro? Yeah, dude. And you know what? Not only hitting all these overs, but for the first time ever, I'm not liking the overs. I'm not oh, liking shit. the overs. <laughs> dude, I know. I got uh, Jamie Malarkey by TKO plus 400. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So so again, when you look at Jalen Turner, right? He's on this good little run right now. He is young and improving, and I think he's going to be a good talent. He might have the higher upside later down the road. But for the time being, these are his fights in the UFC. Vincente Luque, way too early. Uh, takes it on short notice, his debut. Don't bother, right? Kalen Potter, bum. He beats him up. Matt Frivola, which we'll talk about. He gives up four takedowns. He got taken down by Frivola. You mentioned Frivola as a wrestler. Josh Kulabau, that's not a meaningful win to me. Brock Weaver, it's not a meaningful win to me. Euros Medish, they're not... These are not good wins. These are contender series guys. These are guys that shouldn't be in the UFC, but they need to use a roster spot. So that's why they're there. So he's looked impressive against them. I, I just don't know. I think that the recency bias, man, look how good he looks against Euros Medic. Man, look how good against he looked against Brock Weaver. Doesn't really, can't, can't really buy that much into it. Jamie Malarkey, meanwhile, he's picking up some solid victories. He's not fought this exact type of opponent, but he kind of has, right? Kamalworthy is a heavy, heavy hitter, right? Good striker, likes to stay to the outside. He clips him, he knocks him out. Devontae Smith, it's the same thing. He's a big hitter, stays to the outside. You need to grind on him. You need to make sure he doesn't clip you and knock you out. Devontae clips Malarkey a bunch of times. 
hurts him a bunch of times, but can't put him away. Malarkey perseveres. He's able to get the takedown. And from there, I mean, he, like I mentioned on the Malarkey breakdown, he breaks his spirit and then puts him away in the second. This guy's got infinite cardio. Well, I wouldn't say infinite cardio. He looked like he was slowing down against Faraz Ayam, but he's still just making improvements. He himself is only 27 years old, 28 years old. He's getting better. And you mentioned that he got knocked out by Alexander Volkanovsky six years ago. Well, that loss introduces him to Alexander Vol Volkanovsky. Then he befriends Alexander Volkanovsky. And now he's one of Alexander Volkanovsky's chief training partners. All the guy does is grind. All the guy does is wrestle. And similar to a poor man's version of Volkanovsky, that's what he does. He'll take a couple punches in the face, get a hold of you, track you down, and break you down. And I think that's what he'll do against Jalen Turner. You mentioned Frivola can get the wrestling going because he's a good wrestler, but maybe not so malarkey. To be honest, I think the wrestling is pretty comparable. But here's the key difference. Matt Frivola is foot nine. He's really not all that big. Jamie Malarkey is six feet tall. It doesn't look like much compared to 6'3", Jalen Turner. But as far as 155 pounders go, what the fuck? Ludovic Klein's five foot seven fights in this division, right? His opponent's five foot nine fights in this division. These guys are six three and six foot. They're big boys. But I think Turner's natural size advantage that he has on a lot of guys won't be there against Malarkey. And Malarkey's strong in the clinch, man. He picked up Devontae Smith and dumped him, right? That's what he's going to have to do here. Whether the early storm, get a hold of him, peel him to the ground, put a beating on him. And I think once he puts that beating on him, tires him out, puts him in a bad position, I think he does put him away. So... Again, these are sprinkle kind of things. You know, I'm not putting a large chunk of my bankroll on this, but plus 400, like shit, that's the way I'm going. And of course, I think Jamie Mark is a live underdog. Yeah, I, I don't argue with that, man. The guy, again, like I kicked off the breakdown with Malarkey and Turner, they're both underrated guys, people that yeah. uh, we just keep overlooking, right? Uh, and, and as SKD is saying in the chat here, arguably won the ZM fight. I agree. I thought he, I thought he did. I thought he did. Bullshit so, decision. But yeah. Learning experience, you learn from that shit. And then his next two fights after that, he's got more of a sense of urgency. Because the Zion fight, there's not a whole lot of ground and pound. Good wrestling, not a whole lot of damage. That's why Zion sneaks in on the scorecards, because he was punching. But the late since then, it's like turbo mode. And he's one of these guys that, like a Nate Landwehr, like, like a Darren Elkins, it's like, you better hope you knock him out or submit him, because otherwise he's coming at you for 15 full, uh, 15 full minutes. That's what I like about him. Guys that are going to fight for your dollar. Malarkey will fight for my dollar, or he'll get KO'd in the first round. But uh, if he doesn't, I'm going to like where we stand. I also don't mind the placement of this fight as a prelim headliner because I do think it will produce fireworks at times and people will be definitely entertained by it. All right, that is a wrap on the prelims. Once again, shout out to all the sponsors. Well, first and, first and foremost, shout out to the, the most important sponsors, and that's you guys, the 130 live viewers that we currently have. Uh, make sure you guys show the All-Stars some love for bringing us onto their team. Hit that like and subscribe on the video below so, to let them know that you guys appreciate us on their on their platform. And then secondly, let's shout out some of the sponsors here. Uh, Cloudbet, first and foremost, the first ever crypto sports book in the world. Uh, they will match your initial deposit up to 100 percent so make sure you guys go check them out uh they have fast withdrawals low margins high limits trust me that's everything you want to hear if you're looking for a legitimate sports book and if you don't have access to cloud bet make sure you guys go check out bovada they'll match your initial deposit up to 250 bucks links are in the description below hit those links show them some love 
and in turn, you'll be showing us some love as well. We appreciate you guys. All right, let's get to the main card here, Cody. First up, we got a heavyweight scrap between Sergey Spivak and Greg Hardy. This was a fight that was supposed to go down, uh, I believe, last month. Yeah, on uh, UFC 270. That was the night that uh, uh, um, Alexei Olenek was supposed to fight Greg Hardy. Alexei Olenek forced to pull out in steps Sergey Spivak. And before the fight could even happen, Greg Hardy mutilates his finger or something, has a very nasty cut on his finger, and that forces the fight to get pushed back just over a month and a half later. But I'm glad they kept the fight together because I feel like this is a damn good spot for Spivak to go out there and do what a minus 210 or even what a minus 400 should go out there and do. I like Spivak in this spot. I do think that he'll be able to endure the early onslaught here from Greg Hardy. I know a lot of people are bringing up the Walt Harris fight. I'm going to throw that up to being Sergey Spivak's UFC debut, give him the UFC jitters, flying from wherever the fuck he was in Romania to Canada, Ottawa specifically, having your debut against a big uh, guy like Walt Harris. Obviously, wasn't going to go with the greatest for him that night. And then obviously the next fight that he ends up losing by knockout was the Tom Aspinall fight. But man, I don't know if you remember that finishing sequence, Cody, but it was nasty. They were in the clinch. Uh, you see Tom Aspinall throw up a knee or a, I, th I think it was a kick or something. You see Spivak kind of react to it. And as he's reacting to it Aspinall lands this beautiful elbow right over the top and absolutely plants him on his butt and that's where he's able to follow up and get the finish is Greg Hardy going to be smart enough to do something like that I don't know I, I just think he goes out there and throws heavy haymakers and hopes for the best but let, let's look at it a little bit closer man so the last time he's like legit knocked somebody out well obviously it was the Maurice Green fight in October of 2020 uh, that's a power jab to ground and pound but we, we, we know Maurice Green, right, Cody? We, we know which Maurice Green we're talking about. Okay, now let's keep going back. Before that, the last KO victory he had was hammer fist to Juan Adam 45 seconds into that fight. The one before that, Dmitry Smolyakov, uh, ground and pound victory on that. All of these, what I'm trying to get at, the most of these knockout victories are coming from ground and pound from on top, right? It's not really him dropping these guys. It's him, you know, uh, hitting them with the shot, uh, getting them to the ground, and then getting his ground and pound off. Spivak, in my opinion, has much better than wrestling than what Greg Hardy is going to bring to the table. And I feel like people are forgetting, you know, uh, Sergey Spivak's performance against Tai Tuivasa, another heavy hitter who's he's able to get to the ground and eventually find a submission against. I do think that Spivak will be a little bit smarter than what we saw against the Tom Aspinall fight, a fight that he took uh, also on very short notice. This one, actually, he has a little bit more time to prepare for. And also now being pretty much full-time out of Las Vegas, the guy's already there. It's not like he has any travel or anything to do. I think people are over-exaggerating Spivak's durability issues because of the Aspinall fight, but I'd be surprised if Greg Hardy is able to find a similar kind of knockout as what Tom Aspinall was able to produce that night. I think Greg Hardy will probably blow his load in the first round here, and then I think we'll see Spivak start to take over in that second round, get this fight to the ground, and find a submission more than likely in that second round. So I'm going Spivak inside the distance, uh, which currently sits at plus 120, specifically Spivak in round two, which plays plus 500. And if you want to get even juicier, uh, we can go Spivak via submission in round two, pays plus 1,000. Matt Cody, how are you seeing this one? Uh, yeah, I would have to go the other way on this one. I think it's more closer to a dogger pass. Like the fights that make you the most worried are the women's MMA bouts and these middling heavyweights because they're two big boys and anything could theoretically happen. <clears throat> so yeah, we'll just debate a couple of the points, I suppose. Uh, number one being that let's talk about Spivak's durability issue. Does he in fact have a durability issue? Yeah, who knows, right? But the Walt Harris fight, you got to mention it. It did get knocked down in 50 seconds. Why you got to mention it is that Walt Harris is a very explosive uh, power puncher 
who's capable of closing the gap really fast and knocking you out. Has bad cardio, right? But is a very is a very quick three to five minute fighter. That's the kind of guy that beats him, right? Taito Ivasa, that's the outlier. As you say, well, let's give Spivak a pass because it's his debut. That's a different version of Ty. He can't wrestle. He's not in shape. He's not training hard. Uh, it's, it's a different guy altogether. But the Carlos Felipe is slow and lumbering, right? Jared Vandera is slow and lumbering. Alexei Olenek is slow and lumbering. The next time he fights a guy that is one of these explosive, heavy-hitting guys that's going to come at you hard for three to five minutes, Tom Aspinall. And, and he elbows him, and then he TKOs him with ground strikes, right? Like you're saying with Greg Hardy. Well, Greg Hardy would have to TKO him by ground and pound on the ground. Dude, if you're discombobulated and you're out of it because you just got punched in the head and you have no idea where you're at, then little ground and pound's all you got to do. So I think he could go out there and put him down. Now, beyond that, Aspinall knocks him out. Sure, it's Tom Aspinall. Walt Harris knocks him out. Sure, it's Walt Harris. Let's talk about the Alexei Olnick fight because I had a lot of money on Sergey Spivak in that Alexei Olnick fight. He got outstruck in the first round. He lost the first round to Alexei Olnick getting outstruck 25-23 against a 45-year-old man who has no striking, four career knockouts despite like 65 wins. Holy shit, dude. Spivak is not a striker. When he runs into strikers, which you saw his very next fight against Tom Aspinall, it doesn't end up very well for him. Now, with Greg Hardy, you can say, wow, when was the last time he knocked out anybody? Uh, Maurice Green? Uh, Maurice Green's a clown show. Uh, Juan Adams? Well, Juan Adams. Dimitri Smelyakov? Oh, man, he must be the worst heavyweight in the division, which I agree, probably was the worst heavy in the division. Dude, his last fight, he's like inches away from knocking Taito Ivasa out. <laughs> like, he, this guy can hit. He's big. He's 6'5". He's got an 80-plus inch reach. And beyond that, he's very green in MMA still. He's only got 10 pro fights. Like he's still figuring it out. But against Marcin Taiboro, best he's ever looked for the first round. Everything he's throwing is landing. Looks real crisp. Looks real good. Gasses out. Asthma kicks in after the first. He tires himself out. That last fight against Tai Tuivasa, he, he, he hits Tai. He hurts him. His striking looks on point. He gets a little over-aggressive, and he rocks into a counterhook. And you don't want to walk into a counterhook from Tai Tuivasa, right? So it's not like he's necessarily had just straight up bad results. It's like you do see a little bit of glimmer and then eventually a bad result. But Marcin Tabor is a top guy. Ty Tuivas is a, good, is a top guy. Spivak needs to tire him out, take him in the second round, get his wrestling going. But he's going to have to take some damage prior to that. And for that reason, I would say I would say Greg Hardy's probably live underdog. I think the, minus, or the under two and a half at minus 160 pretty much covers it both sides. Either Greg Hardy's going to catch him and knock him out in the first, or he's not. Spivak's probably going to secure a takedown in the second, overwhelm him with ground and pound, put him either near the end of the second or early into the third round. You're good on your under two and a half, right? But low key, and especially if you like to play those, like you were talking about earlier, they're different kind of props, right? Hardy in round one or two is plus 330. Like, it's like, shit, you guys don't think he's going to come out here? He knows he's asthmatic. You don't think he's going to come out here and swing caution to the wind? Like, he trains with some of the best guys. He was at ATT, moved over to Sanford. And now he's got like a private little camp that includes Rashad Evans it, and uh, Dean Thomas. It's apparently it's the resurgence of black zillions from what I've heard. Pretty dope, dude. There's good guys in the room. Jorge Santiago, like you're in good company. So I almost just want to, it's not that I'm saying don't pick Sergey Spivak. I'm saying this is the type of card. This is a difficult card this week. You know, the top couple guys you want, right? You know, Umar is at the top. You know, Covington is likely at the top. You know, there's a couple other good picks. But then after that, dude, it falls off pretty rapidly. And you get some of these two-to-one favorites. Agapova is a two-to-one favorite, but I don't like it. Spivak's a two-to-one favorite, but I don't like it. Marina Rodriguez, two-to-one favorite. But as you're talking about, and you got me half convinced, dude, 
don't really like it. Those are going to be the Apple Pie shooters. Those ones are going to catch us, right? Hopefully, Tagir is not one of them. He could save me on the value <laughs> side of things. But, but like, but like, that's what's going to blow this thing wide open for us. And I'm just trying to mitigate the damage. So, got a feeling that Greg Hardy's a live underdog. Might be able to catch him. As far as prop, Greg Hardy by knockout, or if you can get him like that uh, first or second round plus three thirty. It's a pretty good price tag. Even uh, Greg Hardy round one KO plus six fifty. I don't think that's a bad line as well. Dude, Spivak was getting good. outstruck by Alexei Olenek. Yeah, exactly. Did I mention exactly. that? That is a scary <laughs> thought. But exactly. we'll see because he's still young and he could figure it out. Yeah, uh, one of the ways I actually played it on Bodog was I did take uh, Hardy round one KO and then round two Spivak sub and KO round three Smart. sub and KO. That's so. Smart. I feel like if I don't come out with money in that fight, then it's just like, you know, Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis going the distance type of situation. <laughs> right, right, yeah. That, yeah. Hardy won the distance with Volkov. Isn't that crazy to think about in high insight? Like, well, well somebody whoa. brought it up in the in the comment section here. Shout out to them as well. Uh, Hardy can go 15 minutes if he can put on a, a technical, not a technical, but a, a tactical striking battle, right? Where there's not much ex energy being exerted. But yeah, I feel at a certain point, Spivak is going to get the grappling going, and that's going to force hardy to work and that's going to force hardy to gas out which is why i like him in second or third round i'm thinking second though i think by the second round spivak will have engaged in the grappling enough to suck out that energy of greg hardy and eventually finish him in the second round so fight doesn't go to decision though minus 225 that seems a little low that seems like it's trying to trap us or something but hopefully it's not a trap we'll see how that goes all right let's move on to the next fight here we got uh ba -ba -ba -ba. We got Kevin Holland making his UFC welterweight debut going up against Cowboy Oliveira. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus one three or sorry, 335 for uh, uh, Kevin Holland, plus 260 the return on Cowboy Oliveira. Uh, man, it's so hard to back Cowboy Oliveira nowadays, man. I was trying to think of a way, an argument that I could make as to why him at plus 260 is a solid bet. But it's hard. It's very much hard, man. There's times where you see him like in critical spots and critical moments where he should have the advantage, kind of give up the advantage and allow his opponent to kind of take advantage of those situations. Specifically, one that I'm talking about is the Nico Price fight where I felt it was 1-1 going into that third round. And there was this like crucial moment where they're battling for a you know position to get on top or even to get position up against the cage. And it seemed like Cowboy just didn't have it in the gas tank. He didn't have the will. He didn't have the determination. And we see Nico Price end up on top and end up riding out that round and winning that fight via decision with kevin holland on the other hand like what we're supposed to be believing that he's this takedown defense wizard now right but we haven't really seen much of him since he's had to deal with those takedown issues uh obviously we saw vittori have success brunson have success uh kyle Dawkins got him down one on five attempts but if i'm not mistaken that one attempt was after that uh, inadvertent headbutt which ultimately uh made the fight go to a no contest but we could see it tested here, right? Now he's going down to 170. He's going to be much bigger than a lot of these guys. He is still very lanky, so I'm not sure how much his strength will actually translate down a weight class. And it's not like he's fought, hasn't fought at 170 in the past. This is the first time he's doing it in the UFC. But the last time we fought, saw him fight at 170, I think was about five years ago against Curtis Millinder, where he actually ended up losing a decision that night, uh, headlining an LFA card. Here against Cowboy Oliveira, he will have the striking advantage. I think he'll use his range very well in terms of just picking apart Cowboy Oliveira from the outside, and he could find a, a finish at some point in this fight. I do think it'll be a little bit later. 
because I wouldn't be surprised to see Alex Oliveira go out there and try to implement a grapple-heavy game plan. But if he does, I just don't think he has the gas tank nor the cardio to uh, to to implement that over 15 minutes. Kevin Holland's hard to put away, right? Obviously, uh, Kyle Dawkins was able to get him out of there, but I feel like Kyle Dawkins is you know a, a legit black belt compared to what Cowboy Oliveira brings to the table. And you know, mix into the fact that we had uh, Holland already rocked from that head, but obviously Kyle Dawkins is going to be able to get the submission. But if if Cowboy Oliveira finishes him here, I'd be very surprised. I do like Kevin Holland here. I was questioning the uh, minus 300 price tag on him earlier this week, but after writing the tape, it, it, it makes sense, man. He should go out there, find that kill shot on Cowboy Oliveira, whether it's by KO or a club and sub situation. I do think he ends up getting the finish. So uh, Holland inside the distance, minus 115. I know you have a, a nice juicy prop you want to drop on this fight, so please do drop it for us, my man. Hell yeah, man. I'm getting tunnel vision on this one. I really like Kevin Hall. I think that things are just matching up for him real solid here. So listen, what's the guy's problem is wrestling. We all know it. We all know it. Uh, the guy can wrestle, right? But other than that, he's got the goods. I mean, he's got pretty good cardio. It's very difficult to do anything. Try going for a run and talk to somebody as you're running. <laughs> difficult, dude. Difficult. You got to rely on like breathing techniques and stuff. No, not this guy. He just talks shit the entire time. He fights you the entire time. He's fought five rounds. He seems pretty good. Cardio. His durability, pretty good. Guy's got a pretty good chin on him. Unless it's a headbutt. His uh his chin can take a hell of a crack. He's BJJ Black Belt. Well, it's a phony BJJ Black Belt because he doesn't do nothing off his back when he's getting taken down. We'll tell that to Jacare Souza because he had a very active guard against Jacare and ends up knocking him out with hammer fists off his back. He's dangerous. He just can't wrestle, right? But Derek Brunson's a top five contender. Guy that wrestled collegiately, solid wrestler. Six takedowns against him. Not, not a good look. But at least it's a guy that knows how to wrestle at a high level. Marvin Vittori, not quite as good of a wrestler. 11 takedowns, really didn't like that fight. It's a bad look. It's a bad look. So at this point, Kevin Holland realizes, you know what? I got to learn how to wrestle. And if you were in Texas and you were, you know, between 100 and, well, he's fighting at 205 at the time, 205, 185, you needed somebody in that range in Texas to show you how to wrestle better than anybody. Who would you go to? Johnny Hendricks, because he's about 300 pounds right now and the fucking guy can wrestle, right? When he came out against the Kyle in the Kyle Dokus fight, I thought he looked vastly improved. He's talking shit to Daniel Cormier during yeah. the fight, being like, whoa, stop that one. It's like, oh my God. He's still talking shit and he's stuffing takedowns. Dokus goes one for five on takedowns. And like you said, one of them is probably caused due to the headbutt. Looked pretty good. Besides that, let's say he does get taken down. His getup game is very good. That's why Marvin Vittori needed to take him down 11 times. That's why Brunson needed to take him down six times. When he gets taken down, he usually scrambles and gets back up to his feet. Alex Oliveira hasn't completed more than one takedown against an opponent in like four years. It was the Nicholas Dalby fight, which, by the way, he gassed out, trying to wrestle too hard, and lost. So him wrestling all night is not a viable game plan, and that's really the only hole for Kevin Holland that we can see at this point. On top of that, Holland's dropping down to 170 pounds. Not going to be that tough of a weight cut because he was weighing in at like 182, 183. So if he makes 170... That's, he's an even bigger guy for Cowboy Oliveira to have to wrestle around. Then this is what sealed it for me, really. His, uh, so he fights Kyle Daugas, and his wrestling looks way better. It's a no contest. They hand him the mic. You know, what are you going to do after this? And he, and he basically makes a joke of like, uh, I guess I'll go back to Hendrickstan. You know, basically a joke. Dagestan, Johnny Hendricks, going back to Hendrickstan. Got a good laugh out of it. Then he takes this Fury Pro grappling match against Cody Hamra. Right. So, so Cody Hamra wrestled D1 at uh, North Carolina, U uh, North University of North Carolina. He's a D1 All-American. He's, he's Damian Maya's wrestling coach. And Damian Maya's got 
78 recorded takedowns in the UFC. Wow. Damian Maya, for the record, has taken down Blah Muhammad once, Gilbert Burns twice. He managed to take down a big juice guy like Lyman Good, uh, Antonio Rocco Martin. He successfully took down George Mazadal, everybody's hero, four times. That's a little foreshadowing for the main event, what Colby Covington's going to do. He took down Gunnar Nelson twice. He took down Damian or Neil Magny twice. He took down Ryan Flair, who had wrestled pretty high level. <clears throat> five times. Alexander Yakovlev, Russian Sambo champion, took him down twice. Rory McDonald, he knows how to wrestle. No, took him down twice. Jake Shields, collegiate wrestler, BJJ Blackwell, took him down three times. John Fitch, John Fitch knows how to wrestle, right? No, no, no. Damian Mai took him down seven times. Rick Story, Dung Young Kim, Chris Weidman, he takes them all down. Cody Hamra is a fucking good wrestler. Cody Hamra was having a lot of trouble taking down Kevin Holland. I was shocked, and I bet it. I don't know why I bet pro grappling but I was certain that he would just take him down and lie on top of him. Easy money, right? Kevin Holland started pulling guard at one point because he was just like, well, you can't take me down and this is getting boring. So let's just grapple on the ground. Like it was, it was, it was good stuff, man. Him dropping down to 170, improved wrestling, better cardio, better pace. All of that's good news. Cowboy Oliveira's three fight losing streak. He's gassed out in all three of them. He's not looked himself. Him at 170, best days are behind him because he was a, he was better at 55. Let's be honest. Best days are behind him. Got nine kids to feed. Like, that's got to be a, a problem on its own. And then last but not least, this is what we're getting at. What prop do you actually like, Cody? You're just rambling on. I like the Kevin Holland submission prop. He hasn't submitted a guy in a long time. But again, he's been working on his jiu-jitsu. Travis Luter gave him his black belt. Travis Luter, as everybody knows, is the Michael Jordan of BJJ. So, it's you know, it's, it's, within, it's within high company. And then he's competing in pro grappling tournaments against high-level guys and doing well. He's working on his jiu-jitsu. I think he's going to snatch it up. You go back and you watch the Shafkat Rachmanov fight, right? Uh, Alex Oliveira pins him up against the cage, tries to out-muscle him, tries to take him down, realizes he can't take him down. So eventually he gets tired from trying to muscle him around and just sticks his head into a lazy guillotine choke. And Shafkat Rachmanov essentially just locks up the guillotine from a standing position. Holland will do that. He's very tall. He's got excellent leverage. He loves attacking the neck. He's got a nice darts, nice bravo, and a nice guillotine choke. And I think at some point, Alex Oliveira is going to push him up against the cage, try to take him down, fail on it, get tired, get desperate, over to commit to something, get his neck, neck snatched up. So plus 800, Holland by submission, sign me up. That is a damn good line for a submission prop, especially with seeing how much we've seen uh, uh, Cowboy Oliver give up or kind of just roll over and let his opponent kind of get the dub there. So yeah, uh, I I'm right there with you, man. Plus 850, let me sprinkle some of that before we hop off propping you up today because I do like that myself as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got three fights left to go. Very intriguing matchup here. A big step up for Thug Nasty Bryce Mitchell as he takes on Edson Barboza. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 165 for... Uh, uh, Bryce Mitchell plus 145 to return on Edson Barboza. Now, uh, Bryce Mitchell, solid winning streak, right? Well, he's undefeated, 14 and 0. Obviously, a lot of uh, big victories in his, on his record. Uh, obviously, most recently, I believe he took out Andre Feely. Good fight from him there. If I'm not mistaken, it was 1 1 going into that third round, and Bryce was able to pull off those takedowns and just control him for the majority of that last round. Pick up the unanimous decision that night. But the one thing here that I feel like is different is that I don't think we've seen Bryce have to deal with a striker like Edson Barboza before. And I think that's a big thing here as 
I think we'll see Bryce really start to respect the range that he's going to have to close here against a guy like Barboza, especially when he has, you know, those nasty punches, nasty leg kicks, nasty knees coming up the middle. I think he's going to have a lot to respect before he can go out there and try to dive on the legs of Edson Barboza. We, we see fights where Barboza's uh, takedown defense holds up very well, similar to like the, the Makwan Amerikani fights. Um, then we see it kind of just falter in other fights like the Kevin Hall, uh, Kevin Lee fights, uh, even the Habib Nurmagomedov fight, but who the fuck is stopping Habib's takedowns anyway, right? I, I think if we see Barboza go out there and play a similar game plan to how we did in the first two rounds against Mach 1, he will have tremendous success here. And that's maintaining range, minding his P's and Q's, throwing quick shots, especially with his kicks, so he doesn't get them caught. He can bring them back and get back into his stance and start moving again. The big cage obviously aids him in that as well. Um, I think just landing on Bryce Mitchell as much as possible and making him respect that range and not closing the distance recklessly will kind of um, demoralize uh, Bryce Mitchell from closing the distance and getting his takedown game going. Uh, again, if Barboza starts just ripping up the leg of Bryce Mitchell, I don't think that's something that we've seen Bryce have to deal with in the past, right? What are, who are the best strikers that he's fought in the UFC? Mm. Matt Sales, mm. Andre Feely. None of those guys are going to garner any respect from Bryce Mitchell what they're striking. Edson Barboza will. But the longer that this fight goes, that's where I think Mitchell will start to land some takedowns, especially if his leg is not as beat up as he could, you know, if he starts checking kicks or getting out of the way of the kicks. But the speed in which Edson Barboza throw these kicks with, or even his strikes with, again, something that Bryce Mitchell probably hasn't faced in the past. So this is a huge step up for Bryce. And I think we can finally start straying away from the 145 is a bad division talk from Edson Barboza. The guy's mastered the weight cut now, hasn't missed weight to this point, and puts on solid performances. I thought he deserved to win the Dan Ige fight. And that was a fight where he was shucking off takedowns. The takedowns came a little bit easier later in the fight, but I don't think his gas tank gets compromised to the point that Bryce Mitchell is going to throw on a twister on this guy or throw on a, you know, a rear naked choke or something on him. I think he'll be able to stay safe enough, but still eke out the first two rounds, maybe even get a finish in the first two rounds and get his hand raised, hand raised that way. I like I like Barboza here, man. I think he's one of the better underdogs on this card. Uh, in terms of a method of victory, uh, Barboza by KO at plus 330 is intriguing. But I do uh, see this fight going the full 15 minutes, especially if it requires to uh, Barboza to mine his P's and Q's and just be as disciplined as possible because that's what he's going to need to do to keep Bryce Mitchell off of him. Bryce's striking still has some ways to go, which is why I think that Barboza should pretty much have his way with him on the feet as long as he can keep it there so uh barboza by decision is even hanging at plus 400 i don't mind that myself either uh even the fight to start mine uh sorry start fight to start round three at minus 150 i don't think that's a bad line either i do see this one kind of you know being slow paced uh, both guys kind of just waiting for their opportunities. If it's Bryce Mitchell getting his way, it's more than likely with the takedowns. And how much of a shot are we actually giving him to actually submit uh, Edson Barboza in this spot? And then on the flip side with Barboza, again, KO is possible, but he needs to fight a clean fight similar to the Makwan Americani fight. Last thing I'll say that I'll flip it on over to you. I know Americani landed two takedowns in the first and second round of that Barboza fight, but those came after Barboza was like, oh, the clock's running short. Let me just let go on a couple of strikes. And that's where he gave up the takedowns. But for four and a half minutes, he is sharp. He is maintaining his distance. He's letting his strikes go, getting his damage off, and nullifying the takedowns of Makwan Americani. That's what he needs to do here against Bryce Mitchell. And that's why I'm going to take Barboza. Barboza by decision of plus 400. Sign me up and fight to start round three minus 150. Sign me up for that as well. How do you see this one going down? Yeah, pretty same. Like, I think it's a Barboza's live underdog. I agree with all your points. I think he's far superior in the striking department. He's by far the best guy that 
Bryce Mitchell has had to encounter. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things that you could like about him. Uh, it just it's the kind of fight that you flip back and forth with. A lot of it's recency bias, I think. Uh, when you look at Bryce Mitchell, again, he's one of these flavored du jour fighters, always undefeated. Well, who, who's he beaten? Tyler Diamond, Bobby Moffitt, Matt Sales, Charles Rosa, Andre Feely. Okay, so it's, he's, he's lacking any type of big wins. And in those fights, there's certainly spots where he does not look all that good. But, yeah, everybody likes him. He's got camo shorts. He raps. He's, you know, a funny <laughs> kid from Arkansas. Like, it's easy to get behind him. And then when you think, well, what does he do well? Oh, he's really, really strong. And so he's able to just muscle guys to the ground. And then he's a good grappler. Oh, well, Edson Barbosa always gets out-muscled and always gets peeled to the ground and always gets out-grappled. So it's, like, easy to do. But, again, this guy out-grappled Matt Sales. Absolutely cannot grapple. He, he out-grappled Charles Rosa, who's probably the worst takedown defense you're going to see in the UFC anytime soon, right? Andre Feely, not... I don't know. That one's, that one's better. Better win for sure, but not really a great wrestler or a great grappler. And by the way, the time he fought Bobby Moffitt, that's the only wrestler he's actually fought on his record. He got taken down five times. He got taken down. He never took down Bobby Moffitt once. In fact, it was not a very good fight, to be perfectly honest. So I think he's the kind of guy that could look awesome against tailor-made low-level opponents, but this is one hell of a step up. You're taking on a guy that's fought all the best guys in the division five times over. Like, my God. And again, when you run the narrative of, like, Edson Barbosa can't wrestle, it's like, well, well, who's taking him down? Well, Makwan Amir Khani took him down. It's like, yeah, well, Makwan Amir Khani was a Finnish wrestling champion. He's actually scored at least one takedown in every single one of his UFC fights, except for his debut against Andy Ogle, because he fly and need the guy in nine seconds, right? The guy, the guy's actually a really fine, pretty good wrestler. Bad cardio, good wrestler. Okay, well, so, so who else is actually taking him down? Well, Kevin Lee. Or, well, Kevin Lee's a welterweight who somehow made 55. Nobody knows how. <laughs> okay, so he he was able to get him. Anybody else? Khabib. Okay, Khabib went six for 13. I mean, Edson Barbosa went out there and stuffed seven takedowns. <laughs> pretty impressive shit as far as I'm concerned. Uh, all I'm saying is if he goes out there and stuffs the takedown and Mitchell is maybe not as ready as a lot of people think he is, I think Barbosa is going to give him a lot of problems for sure. And then whereas I would like to hit that Barbosa by submit or by decision prop, I'm also thinking like uh, if he can't strike and he can't get this fight to the ground, he's going to be in a lot of shit. Andre Feely was taking his lunch money in that second round, was beating him up. It's 1-1 going into the third. And Mitchell just clings onto a takedown and pulls him to the ground, right? But it's not a particularly good performance. Barbosa is the kind of guy, if you get sloppy and you make a mistake, I would suggest going and asking Terry Edom about it, but he don't remember. You could ask Benil Dariush, but I can guarantee he don't remember. This fucking guy hits you, dude. You don't just get knocked out. You get separated from your consciousness for at least a month. So it's like Tam Dam or Corey. Remember he got KO'd one time oh, yeah. in the UFC, and he's like, uh, he does, decides to retire shortly after. And he's like, went backstage doctors are talking to me they're like what's the last thing you remember start talking to my wife you know this is this is this is what we did today this is like this is this is everything i remember and uh, it was all from one month prior not like a wow. fucking week prior not like a day it was one month prior and after that he's just like yeah i'm done getting hit in the head like gonna save my brain and he's real political on now he's super political real right wing shut uh, up barncat <laughs> barncat dude yeah i used to love tam damn record he had a total resurgence there and then unfortunately body wasn't able to take the damage anymore but <clears throat> Barbosa's taken some epic shit kickings and then come back the next fight and looked really good. Like he's got an ability to rejuvenate himself. And I think 45 is a better division for him. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets taken down and gets held down and it's a lackluster decision. 
But I also wouldn't be surprised if he got that striking going, stuffed a few takedowns and made him pay. So live underdog, like me a live underdog, I'll go with the uh, Barbosa by decision. Uh, last thing I want to say about this matchup, even after Barboza gets taken down, I, I do think he has the chops to work back to his feet and then get back to his striking game, which should kind of nullify the grappling success that Mitchell had, especially if Mitchell, if, if all he's doing is holding him down and then he gets touched up once this fight is back on the feet, you got to feel like the judges will favor the damage from Barboza. But again, we don't know what the fuck to expect with judges nowadays. I'm just trying to throw out there what they should be looking for. Yeah, that's the thing with judges. What what was the fight in the UFC? The wrestling meant shit. Uh, it doesn't matter. Ryan Bader, right? The the wrestling in that fights, it's like, oh, Moldovsky's landing takedowns, and Ryan Bader is getting taken down, but he's chipping away with short little punches. He's chipping yeah. away with short little punches, and like that is the determining factor. You see other fights where it's not. It's all oh, the takedown is everything. You need the takedown, but. Yeah, when there's a live crowd, right, and the fight's on the ground, it's like, bro. And then when the fight gets standing and the guy that's been on the ground for two minutes comes out to you, smacks you with two kicks to the leg and a left hook to the body, everyone's like, yeah, that, that changes things. That changes yeah. things. Um, I wouldn't feel good about it if it was Barbosa the favorite, but he's the underdog, and I just think yeah. you and I were agreeing with a lot of points. I think he's live. I like it. I like it. And sorry, Barboza decision. Is that what you're liking as well here? Or you I think this has his head off. I'm going to go. No, I'm, I think I'm going to lean towards the Barbosa by decision. I'm also going to take that fight straight up goes to decision, which is plus 115, plus 117 right here on my book. But, anyways, plus 115 fight goes to decision. If Mitchell does get his takedowns, and I know you actually brought this up earlier, but like, you think he's going to twist your Edson Barbosa? Like, okay, dude, good luck with that one. Uh, I yeah, can't wait for somebody he... to clip that and play that. Yeah, after yeah. Barbosa actually gets twisted. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what? Uh, hit me up. Hit me up. And the, first, the, first, the first person that can send me that clipped format after Barbosa gets Twitter, I'll hit you $100. I'll send there it to you. you. The first person hits me up with that clip of me sounding like a jackass. But as far as I'm concerned, yeah. He should be able to survive the grappling exchanges. So if Barbosa loses, he loses by decision. We're going to hit our fight goes the distance prop. Yeah. And if Barbosa wins, could knock him out, but I'm going to lean towards decision just like because that. the kid's tough. He's young. He's undefeated. He's from Arkansas and he blew off his own testicle. Okay. And that didn't knock him out for just from like the sheer amount of pain would just, you know, most people just go into shock. Like, <laughs> and they're like, what the hell happened? Oh, he blew off his own like, testicle. Dang, nabbit. There goes my nut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, nah, nah, but I'm going to eat some squirrel. Because remember uh, him and Augie Kubo on the Ultimate Fighter? He's like, well, what do you do back home? He's like, I hunt squirrel. He's like, he hunt squirrel? He's like, yeah, it's delicious. It's like, he's so likable. He's so likable yeah. to the point that he, he's getting a, a favorite status over Edson Barbosa. Yeah. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And I'm going to look to capitalize. Exactly. All right. Let's move on to the co-main event here. We got Money Moicano saving the day, coming in at plus 145. He goes up against Rafael Dos Anjos, who comes in at minus 165. You got to feel for Rafael Dos Anjos, though, who's had a couple fights fall out on him over the last couple of years. So initially, uh, he was scheduled to fight Islam Mahachev in November of 2020. Mahachev is forced to pull out. Then they rescheduled about a year later, uh, October of 2021. Uh, and then Dos Anjos, unfortunately, has to pull out. They reschedule, or sorry, then he gets lined up against uh, Happy Ophiziev in February. That bout gets rescheduled. I think one of them tested positive for COVID. And now, once again, Rafael Fiziev tests positive for COVID this week and is forced out of the fight. But don't worry, Boha. In steps, 
Hanato Moicano, big money Moicano trying to get that bag. But uh, I think he's biting off a little bit more than he can chew this weekend, unfortunately. Uh, mix in the fact that he traveled over 19 and a half hours yesterday into today to make it to uh, Vegas. Uh, and now he has to cut weight as well to make it to the 160 pounds. He accepted the fight on Tuesday. Sorry, he, he got into Vegas yesterday at, at midday at noon. He got into Vegas. But still, now you got to go out there and cut weight, 20 pounds, a lot to ask for, and then go out there and potentially fight five rounds against one of the best guys to ever do it at 155 pounds in Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, I get it. Dos Anjos getting up there in age. He's 37 years old. But his durability has held up pretty well over the last several years, right? Last time he got KO'd was when he lost the title to Eddie Alvarez back in July of 2016. So we're approaching six years since that knockout. But he's been he's been taking big shots from guys in the past. Uh, Robbie Lawler, uh, Kamar Usman, even before he found the, the big power in his own strikes. Uh, Paul Felder, decent power in him. He was dealing with the power of Michael Chiesa from on top pretty well. Now you got a guy in Hanato Moicano, who's a pinpoint striker, uh, but is very nasty on the ground. But so is Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos's jiu-jitsu game is not that bad either. So uh, I really think this comes down to Moicano either winning in the first two rounds or Dos Anjos taking over in the third, fourth, and fifth round. And I do think he eventually finds a finish in that fourth or fifth round uh, via just exhaustion from the Moicano side. I feel like Moicano has kind of accepted the fact that I need to win this fight in the first 10 minutes and he might just go balls to the wall. And if he does not, then he's going to start to gas out, and that's where Dos Anjos wins because this is a win-win situation for Moicano, right? If he wins, he wins. He gets a big name under his belt, and he wins it on short notice. If he loses, he wins anyway because he was the guy that stepped in and saved the co-main event slot on a big pay-per-view card. But I still think that Dos Anjos will probably outmatch him here. Again, his durability should hold up. I think he's going to start to go for takedowns as this fight starts to drag on, start to stuck, suck the wind out of Moicano. And if you really watch that Moicano fight back against Hernandez last time around from last month, you do see him slowing down a little bit before he eventually finds that combination to put uh, Hernandez on wobbly legs and then eventually get him out of there. <clears throat> so it's not like the guy's this crazy you know, cardio machine in his own right. He has pinpoint striking. His bread and butter is, is his jiu-jitsu. But I'd be damned if he goes out there and submits a guy like Rafael Dos Anjos. So I do think that Dos Anjos is the rightful favorite here. Kind of surprised at the money that's been coming in on Moicano, but I think it's going to start to level out around minus 165 now for Dos Anjos. That's the side I like here, and I do like Dos Anjos later in this fight. So I'm going to be sprinkling a couple of those round props. Dos Anjos round 4 plus 1600. Dos Anjos round 5 plus 2200. This could be obviously one of those spots if you have access to those bookies where you can get uh, uh, Dos Anjos to win in round four or five or decision i don't see any props available for that on best fight odds as of this moment but i'm sure FanDuel or DraftKings have access to that i think that this is one of those spots where you can hit that so yeah i like dos Anjos. think he deals with the striking early here for moicano but starts to take over with his grappling later in this fight and eventually either gets a late finish or wins this fight via decision uh how do you see this one going down yeah, that's how I see it going down. I think he takes over the fight with his grappling, superior cardio, wins it down the stretch. I think he probably does get a TKO finish at some point. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot that you can like against uh, with Dos Anjos. He's, he's 37 and he hasn't fought in like 14 months. Those are the two things you don't like about the guy. But outside of that, listen, he's got the five-round experience. So this is a co-main event, non-title fight, but it's five rounds. And that means something because he fought five rounds against Paul Felder. He fought five rounds against Leon Edwards. He fought... Five rounds against Kamara Usman. He fought five rounds against Colby Covington. <clears throat> he fought five rounds against Tony Ferguson. He went five rounds against Anthony Pettis. So six times in his career, he's gotten the full five minutes, okay? 
Now, the fight with Kevin Lee, scheduled for five, and Kevin Lee's beating his ass through the first three as far as I'm concerned. And then as soon as Kevin starts to tire, <laughs> Raphael don't. And Raphael puts a beating on him in the fourth and chokes him out. So that ability to fight later on into the fight, or if not, go the full 25, huge advantage for Rafael dos Anjos. Moicano just hasn't quite been there. <clears throat> you talk about Moicano's cardio, and again, he just hasn't quite been there. You can bring up certain examples like him versus Brian Ortega. Well, he's up two rounds, and then he gasses out in the third round and gets finished by Brian Ortega. The Alexander Hernandez fight last time out. Starts off the fight awesome, looking really good standing. First two minutes, finding the range, doing pretty well. And then Hernandez shoots a takedown. They end up in a grappling exchange. He decides he wants to take Hernandez down. Doesn't get the first time. Lifts him up heavy the second time. Dumps him on the ground. Commentary team's like, oh, he's trying to prove a point. Really went hard for that takedown. And then doesn't do anything on the ground. About two minutes left in the round. Fight gets back standing. Dude, he's gassed. Hernandez is all over in the last two minutes of that round. It's like, oh, man. Moicano's tired. He goes back to his, his, his corner. Rub him out. Comes out for the second round. And Hernandez doesn't push the action he doesn't shoot a takedown just to get the guy worn he stands in front of him and it allows Moicano just to be like fuck it throws the three four five punch combination together tags him up hurts him stings him it's the, there she wrote it was the grappling exchange that tired him out he can throw strikes he can dance around from the outside it's that that real tough grind that's what's seemingly going to get him i think dosanius does it almost as good as anybody his last fight against paul felder he shot 22 takedowns he got six of them pretty impressive 22 he was on Felder's hips the entire fucking fight for 25 minutes. Says a split decision, but he won the first three rounds as far as I'm concerned. He's a problem, dude. He just wants to wrestle now. He's just sticking on you. He's just shooting takedown, shooting takedown. He's lost. Why? Because he was getting taken down, and he knows that that's a viable strategy. Paul Felder's a striker. It could have been a fun striker versus striker battle, but he did not bother. He just stuck on him with multiple takedowns. He's initially supposed to fight Islam Makachev back in October 2021. Okay, so all you would do for that camp is wrestle, right? Of course. And then you're supposed to fight Rafael Faziv for the last two bookings. Fuck, I would imagine all you'd want to do is wrestle, right? Like, you're going to stand in front of this guy? So I bet you he's been wrestling a lot in camp. That's been the strategy for his last number of opponents, and that would be the same strategy here against Moicano. Why bother standing in front of him? He'll do what he did against Felder. He's got a really sharp laser left hand straight down the middle, right? Southpaw stance, shoot the left hand, shoot into a takedown. He'll smash Moicano with that left hand, but it'll only be to tie him up and try to tire him out. And once Moicano tires out, that's when you'll see Rafael start to pull over, right? So you got experience, you got five rounds, you got all that. Last but not least, because this does kind of secure it for me, uh, Rafael Dos Anjos has fought at 170 pounds. He's fought the best guys in the world, Colby yeah. Covington, Kamara Usman, at 170 pounds because he's a gigantic lightweight who often struggles to make weight. You you said last time he got knocked out, Eddie Alvarez. Correct. Last time, four or five years ago at this point. He had a really bad weight cut for that fight. Known that he's butt naked, half passed out, 12 hours before he's got to step on the scale. He has a really bad weight cut, and then he gets touched up by Eddie. He decides to go up to 170. Doesn't quite work out. Guys are too big, too strong, too physical. They're taking him down. Comes back to 55, changes his diet, gets it going. This is a catch weight of 160. That favors him. Doesn't have to cut all the weight. It's 160, and he's already fought at 170 where he was not terribly undersized. That's a benefit. Moicano, meanwhile, used to fight at 145. Him coming up to 55, he doesn't look big in the division, and now he's going to be fighting at 160, a career high for him. Like All of that benefits the guy with the better gas tank who's got a grinding style, who's going to take you into deep waters and drown you in those deep waters. So RDA, man, RDA gets the job done, I think. And like, yeah, like by, by specific prop, I think he TKOs him. I think he get TKOs him late once he tires out. 
I like it. I love to hear that as well. Yeah, uh, definitely going to be sprinkling those late props here or those late round props, sorry, for Rafael Dos Anjos. All right, that brings us to our main event. And before we do that, shout out to the 150 live viewers we currently have in the live chat. Make sure you guys smash that like and subscribe for the guys over at the All-Star. Let them know you appreciate us on their platform. And then lastly, shout out to CloudBet as well. The first ever crypto book in the space. Uh, one of the most legit books out there as well. 100% match bonus on your first deposit. They have fast withdrawals, low margins, high limits. Exactly what you want to hear from your bookie. And then lastly, if you don't have access to CloudBet, make sure you guys check out Bovada. $250 welcome bonus on their end. Links are in the description below. Make sure you guys go check them out. And once again, shout out to the All-Star as well for putting us on their platform. All right, Cody, we got the second grudge match of the night. Maybe, you know, not as real as Moroz versus Agapova, but still a grudge match nonetheless. We got Colby Covington going up against Jorge Masvidal. We got minus 305 on Covington, plus 240 on Masvidal. Uh, both of them, one and two in their last three fights all four of those losses to come coming to the welterweight king Kamar Usman, both of them getting finished once by Usman, and then the other one obviously going to a decision. Kobe Covington has been neck and neck with Kamar Usman throughout their uh, the, their two fights, uh, even that last fight. Uh, if you guys go over to MMA decisions and look at the judges' scorecards, uh, one judge had at least three rounds for, or sorry, uh, each judge had at least one of three rounds for him, right? Uh, the third round, fourth round, fifth round, and that's very impressive, especially considering he got dropped in that second round and was able to rally back and get his wits back about him and really put on a strong performance in those last three rounds. But the judges still go with Kamaru Usman that night. Uh, but it still just goes further to show that he is probably number two right there in the welterweight division. I know Hamza Chmaev is lurking in the in the wings right now, but he has to still go out there and prove it. Luckily for him, he's finding Gilbert Burns next month. So that's definitely a, a very big spot for him to go out there and prove whether he's the real deal or not. But in regards to this fight, I feel like it looks like a lot like the uh, the first Kamaru Usman Jorge Masvidal fight, where we see a lot of takedowns coming from Kobe Covington. He may not secure the majority of them, but he should secure some cage control and cage pressure time. And then even when they're out in space, Kobe Covington has ridiculous output. Like I still can't get that uh, that Robbie Lawler fight out of my brain, where he's able to throw up what is that 179 significant strikes and 10 takedowns absolute insanity i think that's exactly what he's going to be able to do here against Jorge. maybe not 10 takedowns but he's he will have plenty of takedowns attempted Jorge, in my opinion has underrated takedown defense game uh but kobe compton's pace output and pressure is just something that a lot of fighters are not able to put up with unless your name is kamar usman more than likely you're going to break under that pressure i've been trying to convince myself to place the bet on kobe compton via decision here because again the guy's somewhat pillow fisted not often you see him stinging or hurting or finishing guys but like if he puts on a ridiculous pace on jorge masvidal can masvidal keep it up for 25 minutes like sure if it was a 15 minute fight maybe but can he keep it up for 25 minutes the kamaru usman fight a lot of it up against the cage right that's the foot stomps fight that's where everybody was making fun of kamaru for just literally just foot stomping him the entire time but I think that Covington will put more of a pace on him. He will break out into open space and will try to put that pressure together, put those combinations together, put that activity together, and really try to break Jorge Masvidal here. Sure, Masvidal always has that MMA Hail Mary chance to land this crazy shot. But I think that's very low volume, especially with the amount that Colby Covington moves, how well he takes damage, right? The last time he got finished was obviously by Kamaru Usman uh, with that beautiful shot that Usman was able to land after a very back and forth 24-minute fight, right? 
I'd be surprised if Masvidal has as much success with the with the striking that Kamaru Usman had in that fight against Colby Covington. Because again, that the, the wrestling was nullified in that fight between Usman and Covington. Whereas I don't think it's going to be that nullified here against Masvidal. He will land takedowns. He will have Masvidal kind of thinking with the level change and having all those other uh, aspects of MMA thrown into it rather than having a, a boxing match, which is pretty much what Kobe Covington and Kamaru Usman have been doing for the last 10 rounds. But this is going to be more of an MMA fight. This is going to be a complete MMA performance for Kobe Covington, which is why I think the best prop is Covington via decision, which is currently around minus 105, minus 110, depending on what your book's at. Even though over four and a half, minus 155, I don't think that's a bad idea, right? Uh, there could be a chance for Jorge Masvidal to find some success in here, but I'd be surprised if he actually puts the light out, lights out on Kobe Covington, who's been relatively durable throughout his career. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Kobe here. Obvious, minus, minus 300 favorite. Makes all the sense in the world, but I think he'll out-volume, out-point, and outwork Jorge Masvidal en route to a decision victory. Kobe Covington via decision minus 110. Let's put that shit to the bank. How do you feel about this one, Cody? Yeah, I think Kobe Covington's got more durability than George Mazadal, truth be told. Like, if you want to talk about, they both took Usman's best right hand, right? It completely knocked out George Mazadal. Kobe Covington, it broke his jaw. It's an early stoppage, dog. Early stoppage. He was still conscious. He was still with it. But what you see is George fights Usman the first time. George wins the first round and then loses two, three, four, and five and then gets a rematch and. We got knocked out in the second round. I thought he looked good in the first round. You know, struck him again. And then gets knocked out in the second. So he did way better the first time than he did the second time. Colby, meanwhile, fights him tooth and neck the first time. Does better the second time. A lot of people thought Colby Covington won the second fight. Like, he did an excellent job. He's only still getting better. George, hate to call him it, he's a journeyman. He's journeyman George. 37 years old. 15 pro losses. 50 fight guy. He's been around the block. But he is who he is. But again, MMA loves these characters. They love these bigger-than-life guys that come in and they wear tiger skin and they do fly knees and they you know, they act like Tony Montana. Like People like that stuff. So you become a fan favorite. Once you become a fan favorite, it doesn't matter that you have zero chance of winning, right? They'll still bet you. People bet Nate Diaz in a lot of fights. Why? going to lose. Why Nate Diaz? People bet Conor McGregor to beat Floyd Mayweather. Why? Because it's Conor McGregor. You know the fucking guy's going to lose. He has no chance. There's no fucking chance, but you bet him anywhere. He's a fan favorite. So in Masvidal's case, it's not like he's got zero chance. He's got the fly knee. He's got this crazy theatrics, but he is who he is. He's a quick finisher where he fades down the stretch. So keep this in mind, right? His wins, Jake Ellenberger, first round knockout. Yeah. Donald Cerrone, second round knockout. Okay. We know he's capable of the first two round knockouts. The Damian Maia fight, okay? 1-1 one, one going into the third. It's anybody's fight. Who wants it more? George gets tired. He gets taken down. He gasses out. He accepts the position. He loses it. Lost the third round, tired. Okay, Stephen Thompson fight. First two rounds, somewhat competitive. Third round, Stephen Thompson triples up the strikes on him. It lands him like 38 to 16. Uh, first two rounds are close. Third round, he's just clowning on him. The Darren Till fight. Masvidal actually gets dropped in the first round and then comes back, gets the second round knockout. Okay, he can beat these mid-level guys by knockout. Beats Ben Askren, crazy. Beats Nate Diaz, who's not very good. He can beat those guys. He can beat those guys. When you match him against Kamaru Usman, who's a premier level talent, like he just has the one round. He won the first round in the first fight against Usman, lost the rest of them. The second fight, he lost, he won the first round against Usman and then gets knocked out in the second. He's not built to fight a hard 15 minutes. He's never fought 25 minutes it, since what? Since he got routed 5 nothing against Gilbert Melendez in the Strike Force? Like, the guy's not a five round fighter, right? 
And Colby's hard to put away. So, yeah, even if the first round or two are competitive, he's going to grind on him. He's going to break him, and he's going to beat him. And I know a lot of people are talking former training partners. They 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 know they know each other's style. They know what each other does. George knows what Colby does. No, he fucking doesn't. No, he fucking does not. And I'll tell you why he does not. Because when these guys meet up, when they befriend each other, when Dan Lambert goes to the University of Oregon and recruits Colby Covington and flies him out to Florida – and puts him up with George Mazadol to be a roommate. When that all happens, George Mazadol is 22 and 6 in MMA. He has 28 fights. He's an established pro. He's fighting for the Strike Force world title. He signs a UFC contract the next year. Colby Covington made his pro debut. How do you think those sessions in the gym went? Well, I tell you how they went because a lot of it's online. Colby Covington smashes George in the wrestling department. George beats Colby Covington in the striking department. But that's expected because Colby's never struck a day in his life, right? Does George think he's going to beat up the same guy he beat who had no fucking idea how to throw a punch? No. This guy's 10 years into his career now. He knows how to strike. And the difference is George never learned how to wrestle. His wrestling never got any better. It was the reason why Dan Lambert tried to recruit wrestlers to come to ATT and help these guys. George just never got better in the wrestling department. He can wrestle a little bit, just not against elite-level guys. Usman necessarily couldn't necessarily take him down every time, but he just so much cage control. Yeah, foot stomp or not, it was like George couldn't get his back off off the cage. And he blamed it the first time on, oh, dog, took this fight on three days' notice, and I cut a ton of weight. Good excuse. Because valuable, dude. He did take the fight on three days' notice. Like, I can't fault him for that. Fought 25 minutes off a bad weight cut. Props. Second fight, full camp. Knocked out. Second round. Same shit. Just gets tired. Like, how could you not like George Masvidal, right? He's a character of the game. But don't let that suddenly change your mind that you think he's just going to soar across the ring like an eagle. By the way, if you can clip this when Colby Covington gets knocked out with a flying knee five seconds in the fight, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you're the first guy to send me this clip. <laughs> <laughs> it's MMA, dog. Anything can yeah, happen. I just think we got to go with what's more logical. And what's more logical is live bet Colby Covington after the second round because it'll look good for the first two. Three, four, five. Championship rounds. You know why they call them that? Because the champion's they could fight the five rounds. They take over when it matters the most. George is a character. He's street Judas. You know, he's uh, he's fun. He's entertaining. He's not a five-round guy. He's not a champion. Never will be. And uh, I think you're going to see that. I love it. I love it. I lo that just gives me that extra little confidence as well to go out there and just lay that Colby decision minus 110, honestly, because I do think that he'll just run through him, control him. Again, I think Masvidal is durable enough to deal yeah. with it later on, uh, but I do think that we'll see Colby go out there and get the dub. All right. Those are the breakdowns. Let's get to the uh, the best prop bets that me, Cody, and John have. But first and foremost, let me share the guest that I have for next week. I'd be surprised if the majority of people in the live chat who, who know who this guest is. But, Cody, I know you know who he is. We got my guy, Mike Constantino, a name that a lot of people have probably not heard for him in a long time. He used to uh, head AMA Fight Club over there in the New Jersey region. Used to train guys... Like, let me let me know if you guys have heard some of these names: Habib Nurmagomedov, Jim Miller, Dan Miller, Amanda Nunes, Adlan Amagov, Charlie Brenneman, Ricardo Romero, and even Jimmy Hedis from way back in the day. But uh, yeah, this guy used to be around the game for a long time. Very solid trainer, very good coach, and he's an even better better now. The guy's actually a part of the $500 high stakes lock of the night challenge, and he's in second place right now, going six and zero on all of his picks, and he's only what? 
three, two months into the competition now. So very much looking forward to the insight that he has to drop on my show. That's going to be happening tomorrow at some point between 2.30 p.m. Eastern and 3 o'clock Eastern. He has a show that he does that wraps up just around 2.30, and then he's going to be hopping on my show right away. So uh, that will be on my channel. Uh, make sure you guys go check that out. I'm very interested to hear what my man Mike Constantino has to say. All right, let's get into our three best prop bets. I'll kick things off as always here. Uh, first and foremost, I got Ulenbekov and Elliot to go over two and a half at minus 165. I'm expecting a heavy grappling fight from both guys here, but I think they'll nullify any submission threat from either side. And I think we see this fight go over that 12 and a half minute mark. Secondly, I got Spivak round two plus 500. I truly believe that he'll be able to survive that early onslaught from Greg Hardy here, initiate the grappling, really get Greg Hardy to work, get him to huff and puff. And then by that second round, he should be able to secure that takedown, secure that submission and take home a, uh, a victory that night. And lastly, I'm going to go with Covington via decision minus 110. I just feel like that's one of the easiest prop bets on the card here. Again, not a potent finisher is Kobe Covington. And uh, for the most part, Jorge Masvidal has been quite durable. Although the caveat of him coming back after his first ever professional knockout loss does kind of weigh on my head a little bit. But I'd be surprised if Kobe Covington is the next one to knock out Jorge Masvidal or even submit him in this spot. Next up, we're going to go to my guy John's three best prop bets, and then we'll get to Cody's. Uh, he's obviously kicking off with Colby Covington via decision at minus 110 as well. Secondly, he likes the Barboza and Mitchell fight to go to decision at plus 125. I think that's a damn good spot. And lastly, he likes Marina Rodriguez to win via decision at plus 110. I can't argue that either. All right, Cody, you are up, my friend. Yeah, well, Jason R says Colby is going to teabag George all night long. I agree. I think the three of us agree. <laughs> so I'm going uh, all night long means by decision, by the way. He's not going to cut the teabag in short. So Covington by decision. I think we're on the same page there like that. Moving on, I like to play a, a little bit safe, a mid, little mid-range play here. We got, let it load up on the screen for you here. Oh, Colby view decision oh. minus 110. Yeah, is anything coming up? There we go. All right, and your Magomedo by decision, plus 100. A little more value on that one. Kelleher's tough. I, I'm a little bit worried maybe his submission defense lets up if he gets grinded for a hard 15, but Umar has been coming off a little bit of a layoff, one fight in the last two years. I don't think he throttles him. I think he does comfortably enough to win all three rounds, 3-27, but I like the decision. I like the plus 100. And hey, not every fight's going to go to decision, right? Kevin Holland by submission, baby. We <laughs> talked about this one at length. Me likey. Now you might say to yourself, hey, I went on Tapology. I checked out his record. Some bitch hasn't submitted anybody in a long time. That would be correct. However, similar to John Phillips, when you have bad submission defense, the submission will present itself. Oliveira, not bad submission defense, bad cardio. Cardio makes a coward out of all of us. That is the truth. That's not a shot at him. That's a shot at every human being. Once you get tired, it's when your brain's like, I don't really want to be here anymore. Oliveira gets tired. He kind of looks for a back door. When he looks for the back door, Holland's going to be there to snatch up that neck with the standing guillotine choke, baby. Plus 100. I like it. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we got two safe ones here. Covington, Nurmagomedov by decision. And then Holland, plus 800 by submission. Have a little fun. Make a little money. There we go. There you guys have the props for UFC 272. Again, shout out to the All-Star for having us on their platform. Cody, uh, always great to chop up the fights with you as well. It's it's always something special when I feel like we get together and uh, get to chop up these cards. Seems like the, the live chat is always a big fan of when we get to uh, do a collab like this. Uh, I'll give it on over to you one more time here in case you want to plug anything, and then I'll wrap this thing up on the back end. 
Hell yeah, brother. I love talking uh, talking fights with you every time we can. I know we just do pay-per-views, but it's always good to get a different opinion, a different bit of insight. And, you know, I really do respect what you bring to the table as well. You know that. I've known you outside of capping and pigs. Like, I know you in real life. We're not just, ten let years, me come dog. on your show. Yeah, it's, it's been almost been like 10 years. Holy fuck. Yeah, dude. And I remember you hit me up to be like, yo, I'm, I'm just starting off this MMA lock of the night thing. It was like, yeah, dude, badass. And you've taken it a long way. And not just because you got great marketing and all this, it's because you got the hustle, you got the eye. So always a pleasure to come jump on your show. Comment section's been booming. A lot of great takes, a lot of good supportive crowd. Appreciate that, of course. Hit like and subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, dudes are scrapping it out in the comment section too. So <laughs> it's got pay-per-view vibes on it, baby. UFC 272. If Agapova and Moroza got a grudge, and Masvidal <laughs> and uh, Colby Covington's got a grudge, I'd have to look through the comments section for these two guys. <laughs> they have fucking got a grudge, man. I like it. I like the passion. I appreciate it. And, of course, thanks for uh, taking a few hours out of your day to come listen to, to me and Manpre. We uh, we do like that. We appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, make sure you guys check out my guy on the Dogger Pass podcast every Wednesday as well on their channel over there. My stuff as well on the Manpre Jazz channel now. No longer the MMA Lock of the Night channel, but I'm still pushing the Lock of the Night brand, but trying to be a little bit more professional about it. So make sure you guys go check out my content as well. And then obviously check out all the other content that the All-Star has. Great work that they're doing. Shout out to JHK and Dan Hooker doing the MMA Live. That's a live show they do after every single UFC event. They go live, talk to the chat you know just recap the card so a ton of great content on this channel as well so don't just come us come to here for us come to here come here for them as well all right appreciate you guys checking out the show uh good luck in your bets and i'll see you guys for the next prop new up episode back on my channel next week to break down magomed on versus tiago santos which is a great freaking card as well for a fight night but a great fight as well but uh for this weekend let's go kobe Covington via decision let's call it war kobe Covington via decision Let's go.